This episode is brought to you by Challengers Comics and Conversation. Go to challengerscomics.com and start the conversation now. Daniel's Law LLC in Georgia. Visit dlawllc.com. Kerberos Productions. The minds behind the games enter the pit and kaiju a go-go. Search for Kerberos, K-E-R-B-E-R-O-S, on Steam, or go to kerberos-productions.com to check out their growing catalog of titles. Hey there, conductors of the metaphysical, and welcome to the crossword for the week of August 1st, 2016. We have a little something different for you guys this week. We have our usual news broadcast, but then we're also going to do a little bit of a cyclotron here. As mentioned, we're going to start uh, sort of divvying up all of the Ghostbusters 2016 discussion. And this week we're going to be talking with Paul Gannon and Paige Branson about the story and the characters. It's going to be a lot of fun. Stick around. Still Playing with Toys.net presents The Ghostbusters Interdimensional Crossroad, the biggest podcast since 1909. Stop free. News, interviews, and commentary on everything Ghostbusters. Are you the key? Here are your hosts, Troy Benjamin and Chris Stewart. Oh, we have fun. Woo! The mics have nice check too. <laughs> Do you ever listen to Mr. B, the Gentleman Rhymer? <laughs> no. What was that? He's the one of a handful of British uh, rap acts that uh, get bundled under the, the, the genre of chap hop. Chap hop? Yeah, so I don't know a, what that is. I love it already. Ch- chap hop, you know, old boy, old hip boy, hip. chap hop, yeah. chap hop. Um, there's a bunch that go one way, and it's kind of steampunky. Like there's a guy, Professor Elemental, and he's got some great stuff. But his has a spin of like this slight fantastic. Like he presents all of his stories as if he lives in his uh, Victorian mansion, and he's got like a gorilla as a butler and all this. Like. <laughs> And he wears a pith helmet and goes on adventures. And it's and like I said, he's very oh popular in the steampunk crowd. Uh, I swing slightly the other way to the guy who, in all dead seriousness, uh, present, uh, is called Mr. B, the gentleman rapper. And he has a, a banjo lele. Banjo He's got the fantastic twirly <laughs> mustache, which is real, and some oh some big old glasses, and he wears like the you know the the driving tweed cap and the tweed wow. jacket and all this, and he does some great stuff. Like so, he's from the they're both from the UK. He, so he does like he covers like uh, some rave songs, but in this weird kind of like twenties uh, bright young things. Uh, uh, dance hall kind of style which of course you can imagine with the banjo lately strumming away but yeah. he does he covers a couple of old rap songs like one is uh, Straight Out of Surrey so you get an idea of where he's going with that one and I don't know if it's that one or the <laughs> other one but in the middle of it he, he goes to the same breakdown they have which is uh, oh god who did it Who's the original? But in the middle of straight out of Compton, is that the the guy? The guy actually stops and goes, "My mic sounds nice, Jack." What? But he's doing it. My mic sounds nice, Jack. (laughs) What? My mic sounds nice, Jack. Oh man, I love it. Like the cool stuff that I learned about from you. That's why I'm so glad that you uh, jumped onto the Ghostbusters Minute uh, podcast too to sort of like dive deeper into stuff because I learned. I've never heard of any of this from anybody. I've, now I have to. As soon as you and I get off of uh, recording this, I've got to go check go this find out. It. Yeah, the, he does. Uh, he's got a bunch of albums. They all. It depends on whether you like the style or not. How much you like of all the songs, but each album has at least one that's really kind of great. Like the. Uh, 
uh, one of them he covers he covers Kiss uh, Crazy Nights. It's what? awesome. Oh my god. It's a it's really awesome. Uh, and actually, if you search YouTube, he did one where um, oh, what was he calling it? I can't remember. But he traveled for some reason, and he ended up in New York. And he wrote a little song quickly while he was there. Because I think he, he was probably on work and we did some shows. But of yeah. course, he's, he's now the British guy for the first time in New York, which is the birth of, you know, hip-hop. So he's, and so he wrote a little song about the the, the, the death of hip-hop. like, And then uh, also about why it's still alive and, and it's, you know, why it's good. But yeah. he also writes about, you know, thing, talking about, you know, that bit where the the money machine moved in and said yeah guns and bling that's awesome do more of that and so he's got a great one where it's kind of fall and he's dressed up in his long coat and he's, like I said he's got that fantastic mustache and he wraps a fantastic <laughs> like song it's it's worth checking wow. I'll tell you alright well uh, I have to hey everybody you welcome to. to music theory on music uh, theory. Ghostbusters interdimensional crossrip uh, no, okay, we got a lot of un- we got we got a lot of uh, cool things here to talk about. I'm, I'm going to say cool things as many times in this podcast as humanly possible. Wait for try, it; it's coming. Try to drag it out. Cool, cool things. things. They should make a cool ranch one. Uh, yeah, uh, we've got. Uh, we're going to talk a little Ghostbusters. Answer the call, and we've got a cool bunch of. See, you like that? I dragged it out that time. That was pretty cool good. Cool bunch of people on the uh, don't, podcast. Don't raise it up. That that's not cool. Hmm? Oh, they not cool. cool. That's not. Uh, uh, Bring no. it down. Go low. All right. yeah. Cool. Ooh. There you yeah, go. There All it right. is. Anyway, we've got Paul Gannon on the <laughs> podcast and Paige Branson, who are going to be joining us in a little bit here to talk about story and characters. This is our first cyclotron of 500, probably talking about Ghostbusters Answer the Call. So we're going to talk story and characters on that one. But before we do anything uh, Ghostbusters Answer the Call related, we have fun cool news coming so uh here we go let's get into some news hey guys peter i have some news from the world of gozer i got some pretty cool stuff cooking up over here if you want to turn your head i improved beam accuracy by adding plasma shields to rf discharge chamber i have cryo cooler to reduce helium boil off and we got a freaking faraday cage Let's uh, let's start off, Chris, with something a little different. Usually because the movie was about to come out, we always talked about the latest breaking movie news, but um, this this is the latest breaking news as we re- record this particular episode. A company that I was not familiar with until just now, and it seems like they do really awesome things for um, younger... It's almost like the Make-A-Wish Foundation, uh, but they're called For the Win. Um, they've got this uh, fundraiser that they literally just, you know... <laughs> 12 hours ago started for uh, Brayden, who, if you're not familiar, he is the the little guy who has a respiratory disease who um, kind of made the news rounds, God, I don't know, it was about six months ago. He had a birthday party that one of the Ghostbusters fan groups showed up to, and he, he just lit up seeing people in Ghostbusters costumes with proton packs and an ectomobile, um, because whatever... Whatever the ailment is that he has, and I unfortunately don't have it on our rundown, it prohibits him from like going outside and leading a normal life. And so what he does is he watches Ghostbusters over and over and over and over. He's like us. He watches the Ghostbusters yeah. movies over and over and over again. And he just wants to he wants to be a Ghostbuster. And so as soon as he saw this fan group, he immediately said, I I, I wanna I wanna be that. I wanna be a Ghostbuster. And so 
Ghost Core, Sony, they answered the call. Huh, you like that? And they're trying to uh, put together like the ultimate Ghostbusters package for Brayden. They want to you know, put him in a Ghostbusters movie and put him on a poster and cut a trailer with him and make the guy feel like he is a Ghostbuster. And it's very cool stuff. So um, if you if you go to GoFundMe.com slash Brayden for the win, and Brayden is spelled B-R-A-E-D-E-N for the win, uh, you can find out how you can help him out. You can find out what they have planned for him. They're doing a little fundraiser, obviously, since it's through the GoFundMe so that they can fly him and his family to Los Angeles and, and you know, set up this uh, this whole, you know, it's it's like the Bat Kid event. I don't know. Did you see that, Chris? The Bat Kid Begins documentary? The one where he ran around San Francisco for yeah, a day? Yeah, they let him be Batman for a day. Yeah, exactly. It seems like they want to do the exact same thing for Brayden because of just how, what a kick this guy gets out of Ghostbusters. And yeah. it's, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for him. They've done it several times. I seem to recall taking a quick look there, and they've done it a number of times for a number of kids. So yeah. Yeah. So, and, and yeah, looking into, uh, for the win, just so everybody knows they've done stuff with, uh, Chris Pratt for guardians of the galaxy. Um, they're, they're a reputable company that they've been doing these sort of Hollywood kind of tie in things. I think it's actually started by a, a person that's here in Hollywood as, as a marketing, um, I think he works at Paramount or something, but, um, so yeah, so very, very cool stuff. Um, see, I got it in again. Yes. Uh, and then <laughs> there was, there was a story. Okay, What's stop, the story stop. about the? F- I demand that when you do the cut, that you add a ding every time you say "cool." <laughs> yes, we can't see the count, but I want to. You hear can the hear the ding. ding. Okay, sold. Uh, now, now the pressure's on. Now I got to say "cool" more stuff work, as much as I more, can. More work for you. That's fine. All right, sold. I got it. I can do this. <laughs> uh, tell me, tell me about this four-year-old with his leg. What, what was that, Chris? I, I you kind of mentioned this before we started recording, and I, I didn't really get a chance to dive into it. But what, what happened with with his prosthetic leg? That was, uh, yeah, it, it was new today, and I'm still kind of catching up on it myself. But uh, a little guy, four years old, uh, is uh, missing his leg from, I guess, like the knee down. So he has a. Um, a prosthetic one, uh, which allows him to walk around and all that. And they took it off. It was like, um, uh, they were at the beach. So, you know, very natural place to kind of take that thing off. And I, I don't know, somebody decided that just like unattended, wallets and and watches and Uh. shoes that hey an unintended leg is something you should run off with see what kills me is it's like he's four years old that's not a very big leg any idiot can look at it and go that's a child's leg yeah you're stealing from a kid and then should instantly go to he needs the leg and he's a kid maybe i'll leave it there Uh, Uh, i don't i don't know that's some sick that's pretty bad yeah, I don't have the, uh, it's a video clip, uh, and I don't have his name here on the thing, but yeah, it was in Orange County, and, uh, but, uh, the happy, uh, flip side of the story is he, he's a Ghostbusters fan, and the replace, they, he got a, uh, was given a replacement one, um, by some people that knew he was a Ghostbusters fan, so he's got a Ghostbusters A Ghostbusters-themed leg? Yeah. Oh, dude. That's cool. Uh, and then I got the, it again! 
Hmm? <laughs> I want to see where it ends up because I know as the move, the story's been moving around, a lot of ghost heads have go- legs. Great. Why stop there? Um, so we'll see. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of big hearts out there. I'd, I'd love to see where, they, where it ends up, both for yeah. Braden and a uh, uh, little nameless guy uh, who uh, has a name. And I'm, who unfortunately we did not. Yeah, we did not put on the look, I guys. I'm gonna I'm gonna put the curtain down notes. a little bit. Um, Chris and I have been very busy this week, <laughs> and so <laughs> this show's a little scattered, and it happens. But, More so than yeah. usual, because everybody knows I'm the one who shows up. Yeah, I know half the story, and I should have written down the details <laughs> somewhere. Um, yeah, that's all right. That's all right. Uh, but but yes, I got the, the clips up on Proton Charging and all that, and we can yeah, throw go, it up Yeah, go on. check it out, and then and absolutely go check out the GoFundMe that they've set up uh, for the win uh, for Brayden, and I'm sure some of the groups uh, that are involved both in Brayden's hometown and uh, here in Los Angeles will probably be involved as well so um find, find out how you guys can help out with this this awesome day and uh there's i'm sure there's plenty to do if we want to make him a ghostbuster you know he's gonna need a, a suit and a patch and a pack and a name tag and and there's gonna be a lot for all of the fans to chip in and help out with so uh hit up gofundme.com uh even if you want to just donate a couple of bucks to it it, it should be a, a very a very heartwarming experience for a little young guy. Um, let's talk about let's a lot of merch stuff, Chris. Um, so let's let's move the merch up to the beginning here too. Why did some major gathering of nerds happen that there would uh, facilitate the need for so yeah. many things? There was the the annual running of the nerds uh, occurred in San Diego, <laughs> and uh, I hear only three people were gored at uh, the, ga- yeah, the gas. Uh, was it gaslight? Uh, the gas, gas lamp district. Gas yeah, lamp district. So I mean, Kelly and I went down on Sunday. I because of how crazy it's been with multiple projects. I was only able to go on Sunday, and it is busier and more chaotic and more crowded than it has ever been. We we literally got stuck out in front of Hall H in elbow to elbow, what I can only explain as a herd. We had no control over where we were going. <laughs> we were just trying to get to the Marriott Hotel that's kind of over there behind uh, Hall H. And we had, it was just, it was a free for all. It was so ridiculous. But um, so at any rate, yes, the uh, San Diego Comic-Con happened which a lot of companies were showing off all of their new uh, Ghostbusters wares. We talked last week about Cryptozoic, who they have their um, new blind bags, and they were showing off a Stay Puffed apron that comes with a chef's hat that I've resisted the temptation and I did not buy, even though it was very cool. Oh, got it again! remember offhand what the name that cryptozoic gave their little uh, blind bag miniatures um, i i'm not I, I can't remember either um no oh, we're terrible everybody has their you know there's the titans and there's the mini mates and the ecto minis and um yeah so cryptozoic has theirs they yeah. also had the slimer timer which was very creatively named uh that <laughs> i have to find a way to get that for our kitchen uh without my wife killing me um but also everybody and their grandmother quite literally uh, is selling um, action figures now? Did you notice that? That so Mattel had a display for Ghostbusters Answer the Call. Uh-huh. They didn't have any new merchandise out, which was interesting. It was just a display with the Ecto two and a pack and a. They had the Ghost Chipper out and the trap, but no new merchandise. Um, and then Blitzway has the figures that we talked about last week. Uh-huh. Hollywood Collectibles they showed off their. Uh, it's a Peter Venkman statue. Um, kind of, I, I listened to the, uh, the yes, have some guys try to describe things as, as not hot toys because you just want to be like, Oh, it's a hot toys thing, but that's the name brand. It's like saying Kleenex, but 
it looks like a Hot Toys Peter Vankman. They also have a, a Slimer statue that comes with the hotel cart um, from the Sedgwick, and it's got all the food and all of that stuff. I don't think it's motorized, but that's a missed opportunity. It should be remote controlled. Yeah. Um, they also were showing off the, the terror dog and stuff that they're working on. Um, and then there were the Mezco figures. Did you see these, Chris? The, the little did. six inch figures. Yeah. What, what were your impressions on those? Because I saw them in the cloth things, the, like the cloth costumes weren't really working for me. Did you, what were your impressions of those? My impression is, did nobody learn from Maddie collector's mistake? in previous years, which is how many times do they think we're going to buy the root four guys <laughs> in action figure form in um, six inch action figure form. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so diamond select. Excellent. Uh, Mattel's got the, there's uh, the classic ones that they put out. Uh, they, yeah, there's these ones. Um, and then if you want to broaden it out, then there's a, a, a few lines of competing 12 inches that are coming out. Right, I, I don't yeah. know. They kind of look okay. I suspect <sighs> these things are kind of subjective to figure collectors. And as I mentioned, it's not where I naturally gravitate towards as a collector. I, I'm getting the diamond select ones because I want the rooftop temple. But beyond that, right. I'm kinda, I can I can kind of pick and choose. Like, yeah. I need to get the Mattel classic ones or anything like that. It's a very, it's an interesting conundrum because if this would have been, say, 12, 14, 15 months ago and Mattel was putting out action figures, I'd be like, oh my God, yeah, there's the Ready to Believe You Ray is coming out. And well, I've already bought like four Rays yeah. before, but it's the first time that but now we're at this point where it's so saturated that I, well, yeah. I, you can be you can be picky about what you're going to purchase, which is I, yeah, which is kind of a strange thing because then they're kind of pe- competing with one another. Yeah. Um, it, but the thing is, is they may it may be smarter than we think because the figures uh, people react to figures subjectively, and it turns out every time a figure has come out. If you asked a bunch of people, a room full of people, they'd all have different pros and cons about what yeah. they liked and disliked about it. So it's quite possible that, as you say, people that looked at uh, Diamond Select and went, they're great, but I don't like that or that or that. Right. Then they turn around and look at the Mezco ones and go, oh, that's great. The packs come off and cloth. You know what I mean? Like in, yeah, in a six-inch figure. they can to different tastes now that – I guess now that the, the market exists there where before it didn't, where people were – like look yeah. at Maddie Collector saying, "Well, we have to make this a subscription-based thing because, or even, or even when the Ectomobile, when they were trying to almost like crowdsource the Ectomobile because they didn't think that it was a viable product that they could mass produce." Now there's several companies that are like, "Well, I'm going to make these four figures, and I'm going to make these four figures, and I'm going to make the exact same four figures but with cloth clothing, and I'm going to make yeah. these four, you know." Now the way you and I both know that the way these things work is they get it's really no skin off of Sony's nose. They, they put in their pitch and if Sony likes it, uh, Sony gets, uh, probably a little bit of a guarantee up front. Right. And then they'll take a cut of whatever comes through the door. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's up to those guys then to figure out, you know, how many to make and at what price point and whether they'll make their money back. So from where Sony's sitting right now, especially now that the new movie's out and we're moving into now let's push the heck out of the entire line of Ghostbusters stuff. Um, the, on the studio side, they're probably sitting there going, yeah. Oh, you, you guys want to make some more figures? Go for it. That's like fine. It's, yeah, it's just please another, pay the following license fee. Yeah. It's, it's just another opportunity to get that, that no ghost logo 
out there into the world, especially now that we're in the bridge period that you and I talked about between the new movie out uh, and the Ecto Force coming out in 2018. So they got to fill some space with some merchandise and keep it keep it alive, keep keep it it going, going, keep it in front of people's eyeballs. And you and I, you know, you and I know for. Uh, if they didn't hear about Diamond Select Toys, maybe they'll trip over this one and they'll like it. Or, you know, you go into a comic shop and they've got everybody's action figure yeah. and it becomes a fantastic wall of Ghostbusters or whatever. It, it just, it'll be great. It'll well, look good overall. And and for the exact reason that Mattel at the San Diego Comic-Con, they didn't have any merchandise to show off, but they did have props from the film, again, because they're trying to keep that look, we own this license. We acknowledge that the movie came out. More is probably on the way. They're they're trying to keep that flame going as well. So, um, yeah, yeah. It, it, it all sort of makes sense. And, and again, there's a lot to fill the time with because of the market now in terms of all of the merchandise. Like, there's these horror decor pillows that, that you had pointed out, Chris, like there's the terror dog, like throw, throw pillows. You make it sound sick. Okay. Let's, we got to be very careful with the pronunciation here. Horror, horror decor. decor, horror decor. Yeah. It's hard As to, to, you don't want to, yeah, exactly. You don't want to <laughs> slip over into horror decor. <laughs> Bring your horror throw pillows. <laughs> Do you got your horror pillows? What? <laughs> <laughs> That's very ah the magic of radio. <laughs> One slip of the tongue and it slowly it slowly becomes Hor- a different thing. Horror, horror, decor, horror, decor, horror, decor. Uh, yeah, they the uh, again. This was actually just a. I think actually it was over the weekend, but I only found about it today. Uh, about a week later, they announced that and put a picture up. Ah, oh, the picture's fantastic. I love it when people when places make merch and the way they announce it is they show you a giant field of it. Like just I just love that pleasing <laughs> repetition of the same thing over and over. Yeah. But they had a picture of dozens of uh, it's a it's a terror dog head. So imagine a terror dog head uh, printed onto you know uh, fabric and then uh, uh, cut as an outline. So it's it's shaped. So uh, it's, it's the not, like the horns are on oh, the top yeah. of the yeah exactly. exactly. And then you know, stuff it full of uh, you know synthetic cotton batting, and there you go. It's a you got yourself a fancy a horror. Decor you have a horror pillow. decor or terror dog. A terror terror <laughs> dog. That's a, that's a lot in three <laughs> words there. <laughs> they so, look great. But I don't have any information, unfortunately, about price and all that. I can't imagine a throw pillow goes from, even yeah. though with a license on it goes for more than 20 bucks a pop. Yeah, there's, um, you know, the the pillows and then there's um, like uh, Kellogg's. Kellogg's is doing cereal now and it looks like it's actually classic and new Ghostbusters, right? The the bookmarks that they have, these like magic bookmarks that are their pack-in toys. Yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> It's well. It's one of those. Uh, what do they call it? Uh, ventricular. Is that right? Lent, is, that is it a lenticular? Lenticular. Oh, lenticular. oh dude, God. I didn't know that they were lenticular. Dang. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's that's what it's. Uh, if I understand correctly, it's lenticular. Oh uh, my god! It's a, it's a simple plastic uh, bookmark. It's a thin piece of plastic that has. Um, uh, you see them sometimes with those unwieldy, awful office, uh, quote unquote paper clips. But it's, uh, the, if you imagine a, um, oh boy, a plastic arrow, I don't know. And then the middle bit is also cut out as a plastic arrow. So, so it you sort can of put, points to where you are in the book or whatever. Yeah. That, that but, kind of thing? But, yeah. but one half 
goes on one side of the page and the other half goes on you know what i mean like it it, it goes on like a paperclip yeah, rather yeah. than merely just sitting between just sitting two in pages. between pages and then on that they have the little magic you know window picture and i guess there's four of them so as you said there's slimer stay puffed i don't know who the other two are I yeah, I see them, and I didn't know that they were lenticular either. That's that's a huge sell for me now. I gotta find these things. Well, uh, let's hope I'm right. But yeah. yeah, everything I saw, that's what I was like. Oh, it's that thing. I mean, they're nothing fancy, but actually, it is harkens back to the good old days of when we were kids. These days, it's like it's your Jedi light up spoon. spoon. What? <laughs> wow, that's fancy. Whereas when I was a kid, it's a lump of plastic that hangs off the side of your bowl. It's yeah, one of the monkeys from the jungle uh, book. Okay, and, and even worse, it's uh, collect eight box tops and then mail away for this thing that you don't get <laughs> for six months. And you, there's, I mean, yeah, ex- exactly. you kids and your instant gratification. Come on, uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's not uh, well. It's a it's a it's a box call out. It's not like they took over the whole yeah uh, the box art and all that. It's uh, it's the Kellogg's the usual ones. No, Apple no Ghostbusters cereal, but um, but a big a big sidebar of slime where they're like get your you know magic bookmark. The best part though is that you flip it in uh, and you get a code to redeem yourself to. Digital copies of the real Ghostbusters. Oh, you're kidding. Oh, that's yeah. great. I didn't see that either. So they sweetened the already sweetened bowl of sugary milk with... Now, uh, I, wonder, I wonder if that's going to be the same as... So the, the tins that they're selling at Walmart down here in the States that come with the digital codes for the movie and the, right. the episodes of real Ghostbusters... Probably the same thing. Probably the same thing. And I kind of, I got a bone to pick with those things because it's one of those, it's like ultraviolet. So you put the code in and it only gives you access to stream the episodes through their website, which is like only accessible through certain browsers. And you have to have the Silverlight plugin and you got to like, oh boy, this defeats the purpose. I just want the episodes on my phone and uh, I don't know about that. Yeah. Um, So I don't. It's probably the exact same thing. I would imagine it's the same whoever the company is that they're tying in for these these uh, digital redeem codes. Um, yeah, it's kind of kind of a bummer. I mean, I, well, again, it is, I, a, it is a bummer. It is a bummer that you're unhappy with your free cartoon. With my Troy. free cartoon, I know <laughs> it's a bummer. It's just I don't, and maybe it's I, maybe it's because of the. <laughs> The whole, like, I am not a fan of the ultraviolet, to be completely honest, because... My my, my digitally clear uh, cartoon <laughs> can only be played across the ethereal internet onto my my big magic box that sits on my and it's desk. it's being beamed out I'm, of space. I'm upset because I can't put it on my little magic cinema in a, in a, in a wallet that I can carry around with me. What are you complaining about? I, I don't know. Oh, God. You are so spoiled. Fine. So spoiled. I'm taking my tin and going home. <laughs> Go talk to your six-year-old self. You won't get past uh, uh, magic cinema in a wallet, and they'll be like, "Wait, what? hold up on the cartoons for a second. Yeah. Let's talk about this 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 carryable cinema you're talking about." Do you, Tell do you me remember more. that time that you had to leave your <laughs> AOL online for an entire night to download a trailer? Yeah, you don't have to do that anymore, kid. Yeah, exactly. Fine. And then Ugh. remember that time that you had to walk to school in the snow, three miles, and yeah, yeah anyway. Um, so, <laughs> all right, fine. I take it all back. I'm not upset with my free cartoons. Fine. It's a box, it's a box of awesome cereal with a Ghostbusters bookmark and two free cartoons, and you're complaining you can only stream it. And it gave oh. me diabetes. <laughs> and, 
<laughs> well, let's just move on then. Hey, let's talk. <laughs> let's talk about Rip Spin Warriors because that's really fun to say. Maybe yes. maybe I should actually try to say Rip Spin Warriors as many times as I can in this podcast. Rip Spin Warriors. That's fun. Ooh, I that's would. fun to say, Antonio. Uh, but what uh, what what is this? This is another one that I didn't have a chance to really dive into. It's it's a game, or it's like a it's like a collectible type thing, like pogs. Well, yeah, exactly. Being an old man. Yeah, well, actually, you're not too far wrong with Pog. At any given time in the toy store, there's always some sort of collect them and go fight your friends type of toys. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, you, you get yourself the, well, technically you don't need the plastic arena for them to fight in. You can fight on a table because, you know, if I had to use a stick as a gun playing you know soldiers as a kid you could use the table okay but <laughs> but there's always the buy yourself the 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 licensed plastic arena and then you can you you and your friends bring over your thing and you you they fight it's it's basically a slightly more dynamic and uh version of rock'em sock'em robots yeah yeah uh, it's that sort of thing cool. so it's a little it's a little tiny top you you whiz these things around so they're not solid tops but they're effectively tops and the arms spin around and then when they hit one another they have a little bit of give because of course they're just hinged in they're not locked in yeah so it you know you can kind of in your head imagine a fun little dynamic fight thing going on well anyways 10 minutes later after i've described a game that people could just <laughs> Spin, go look up spinning tops fighting each other what i'm kind of keen on that's what it is yeah what i'm keen on about this is that it's the real world physical version of that philosophy sony's been applying to the mobile app market where they're like sure we're gonna oh yeah slime city's coming out great say there uno or hey there whatever like how many different games can you uh, fruit ninja there's another one. how many games can you think of where they just said you got a great game do you guys want to put like a little ghostbustery element to it yeah just skin it with something that we can sort of do a product placement with yeah same thing here so kids are into rip spin warriors and they're getting their you know, weird wacky they sell them in two packs i guess and you can get your your weird little rip spin warriors and they've got their funky names they actually those guys remind me of um the stuff as kids we used to get like muscles and all that where they were all yeah, these crazy made yeah. up characters with their stupid names and all that and anyways uh, in the midst of it Sony and them have come to some sort of agreement they're like yeah stamp you know a little bit of slime on it and put the Ghostbusters logo and yeah make one look like Stay Puft and the other like Slimer so I don't know that I'm going to get the others but I'm definitely going to get the gonna arena get those. at least one yeah. back you can you can have Slimer face off against Stay Puft which uh, who will win <laughs> find out in a death match to the death they're already by, dead i don't know how it itself, works i don't know how much fun it'll be i suspect with the addition of uh crystal cooler all will be revealed <laughs> and and a little money on the line friday yeah. nights will be oh yeah my, oh friday nights will never be the same again two ghosts enter one ghost leaves <laughs> Uh, yeah, anyways, that, I just thought that was a, a nice little addition to the world emerge, And it shows that uh, Sony Consumer Products is kind of oh, yeah. cleverly thinking outside Man, of the box, right? They're yeah. all over it. And and like you were saying, they have time to fill uh, because Answer the Call, even though it's... Okay, so let's, let's kind of delve into the Ghostbusters Answer the Call stuff because... Uh, for all of us in North America and in several other markets, we've already seen the film, sometimes multiple times. It's still not out in some other countries. Um, but uh, let's let's talk first about the Empire podcast. I don't. Did you get a chance to listen to that, Chris? 
Little bits and a little pieces. Bit? Yeah. Uh, to be honest, I'm mostly caught up through the bits I didn't listen to by all the written articles that talked about what he talked what he said in the podcast <laughs> yeah so so uh it's it's their spoiler podcast so su- suffice it to say uh we are going to spoil some stuff by talking about the spoiler podcast of empire if you haven't seen the movie yet and you're trying to avoid spoilers again for the people who are in like it comes out in germany this week and then japan and spain next week and france two weeks after that so all When's of our italy? international italy's it, next week I think. italy is this week i believe or this week yeah italy and germany uh, i think get it at the same time right GB Max, your time has come. Yeah, it's it's coming, but we're gonna spoil it right now. So if you haven't seen it, uh, we're gonna talk about it. But so the the thing that I really latched onto with the spoiler cast is Paul started. Um, he started uh, tilting his hand on some of the deleted scenes and the things that they weren't able to do that he wanted to do, and he talked about Rick Moranis's cameo that they they had written in and they actually had to cast at the last minute with somebody else because Rick didn't want to do it. But, um, okay. Start there. That's the part I missed. Yeah. So, okay. So, and I'll, I'll play a little clip here, but basically what he says is that they, they did write a cameo for Rick Moranis, uh, where don't don't tell me, don't tell me what it is. Actually play the clip for people. Yeah. Okay. So don't spoil it. Let's here's a clip. Yeah, we'll, we'll, let, we'll let the man himself say it. I'm specializing in... Were all <laughs> those cameos kind of done a bit on the fly? And, and were there all those cameos as we've seen them in the final film? Or did you have to adjust? No, no, that, those were all pretty set. Uh, we, we definitely had very specific roles that we wanted for the cameos. And we had one for, for uh, Rick Moranis, but he, he just didn't... He wasn't interested in doing it, which it was, it was something we ended up cutting out. And I feel bad because Brian Baumgartner, if you know The American Office, he played Kevin on The American Office, mm. he did it. And it was it was a fun thing where when they show up in the Mercado lobby and they're facing off with you know Kevin, who's possessed by Roe, and he's like, oh, I see there's five of you now. And they're like, huh? And the camera pans out widens out to reveal that this guy's standing there in his pajamas and a robe <laughs> <laughs> and they just get out of here so so uh, that was brian did but we wrote that yeah. for, for rick oh so rick would have been a guest in, in yeah. the hotel yeah exactly okay but we got, tried i mean you got sigourney you got yeah, Dan, yeah everybody you got Ernie, it's a- i almost I, I was gonna put william atherton in it too and then it just we kind of hit a point where like we might go might i feel bad because i love the guy but uh too many cameos you really got to walk the line of how how many references you do, and the audience will you know will they'll they can judge us on whether they thought we did enough. But mm. the biggest thing about cameos is you got to make sure that they're at places where they're like a fun Easter egg and a little little you know comfort food versus you know you got to you have to when you're doing something like this you got to let the new cast and the new movie kind of live on its own. Mm. It's got to win the audience over, and then the hope is that they'll be so wrapped up in the new thing that they'll kind of forget. That it was based on the other one, and then then you go like, oh, here they are, and and it, it, I feel like we really nailed it just because in all the test screenings, like you know, the first time um, Andy Potts pops up, people are like they go crazy, and then it just kind of goes from there. And the only one I don't know if people, some people catch and some people don't, is the the Herald one. Which uh, no, go on the bust. Which you know, did you do you, you catch no, it? No, I didn't catch that. I didn't oh, catch you didn't? That. Oh, right. oh my gosh! No, talk us through. Oh yeah, it's when uh, it's right at the beginning when Charles dances in uh, in Kristen's office and he walks out. The, he walks out. And as he walks out outside, there's a bust of Harold Ramis. I did see that. Sorry, absolutely. I saw the yeah. bust and I made a note. Ask who that is. Oh no! I should have made because well, my editor always felt like he said we're cutting away from it too soon. I said I don't want it to be that thing where then we just sit on it and like look, <laughs> check <laughs> it out. No, it's nice. It's subtle. Yeah. Um, oh, and I'll tell you one other. They're actually Harold has is really well represented in this because 
in the concert scene, out front of the concert when Rowan's walking in past the crowd, uh, the guy that comes up and like gives him the high five, that's Harold's son. Mm. And then wow. when they show up in front of the firehouse for the first time with the realtor, standing on the corner next to it, there's a woman holding a baby. That's Harold's daughter and Harold's oh. grandson that she's holding. So, uh, wow. Yeah. So it's nice. it was important it's to me to get, to, you know, because Erica Ramis, his, his, his wife, um, has been very involved and such a big supporter of, of this whole project and just a lovely, lovely woman. So, yeah, okay, interesting Interesting that, first of all, that Rick Moranis didn't want to do it. Obviously, he's retired. It takes a lot to kind of coax him out to, to do something. And he's at great length talked to, I think it was the LA Times, about why he didn't want to be involved with the reboot. Um, interesting that they did film it and it ended up on the cutting room floor. It does. It seems like it's another one of those moments that sucks the air out of, like, the, here's, here's the third act. Here's everything coming to a head. What? Who's that guy? I don't understand. What? He's like a dude from the hotel. I, that one of those things, kind of yeah. like the dance, the dance sequence, which we're going to talk about in a little bit here with Paul and Paige, um, that just maybe was tripping up the pacing of the movie a little bit. So it's it's maybe good that Rick Moranis didn't film it because it probably would have ended up on the cutting room floor. Yeah, you and I were talking before about movies that start out great and then hit the third act and uh, you know fall apart. And we were talking last episode about how this one manages to actually, it, it stumbles a bit, but it manages to keep moving forward. And as a result, the overall effect is that, you know, great, good fun. Yeah. Um, any of those things, had they left it in, regardless of what other, uh, you know, editorial choices he made and stuff like that. Oh, that would have been, that would have been a trip and fall. Yeah. That would, that would have been a face plant and, you know. The Ugandan runner runs past you and takes the marathon, right? Like, <laughs> but it I just... get it. Like on paper, it sounds like a funny idea that it's this just quick yeah. reveal that he goes, "How many of you are there?" And there's a fifth guy there, and it ends up being Rick Moranis. Oh my God! Everybody laughs, haha, and then we're done. But yeah, it's it's sort of it's a throwaway kind of shoehorn joke that yeah is is tough. I don't I don't even know that I would uh, be so mean as to say shoehorn because I think what happens is that when you're writing you're thinking in the in, in the context of the scene right and, right and that scene you know kind of as you hold it in your head all by itself it's not it's not as huge as the whole movie obviously so when you you know you can have this big action scene and the guy comes in for a little bit you're like that's pretty funny yeah then as you said they shot it and then tried putting it in there in against the the flow of the entire movie just like the dance scene you you hit it and you know instant you're like oh no no yeah no. yeah great in the scene by itself really screws up the entire but in movie. the scheme of things yeah exactly yeah. So, so yeah, interesting. If you, if you haven't listened to the empire spoiler podcast, go, go check it out because he also talks about things, um, like the, uh, the proton cannon tank, which we'll talk about with Paige yes. and, and Paul. I am so mad that I can't seem to find anywhere and all the stuff they put out, um, uh, a shot of it, but I'm, I, I'm not crazy. I've seen the movie three times. I know it's there. It's, it's like a strange, and, uh, um, we saw it in, in the leaked photos that from the very beginning of production, like there was a parking lot that had all of the picture vehicles yes. in it. And there was yeah. this t like tank looking thing. And everybody kind of latched on to like, what is that? That's what is that? And then we see it in the midst of the, you know, the, all the police and soldiers at the, in the end credits, there's a, a fairly sizable shot of a guy, 
popping and locking on top of it. Uh, I mean, it's a straight up you yeah. know, armored armored vehicle, a wheeled armored vehicle rather than a treaded one. But it's yeah, that's not a missile rack or anything. It's like it literally is like a, a an oversized barrel of something, and it looks like like what it reminded me of is if you ever seen those little stubby uh, uh, LED flashlights you can get. <laughs> <laughs> you know does. what I mean? Like the it grip totally size. looks like one of those. It, looks, yeah, it looked that, like, like that. If you took one of those up to scale and stuck it on a tank, because the front of it looked like it was kind of made like it would, quote unquote, light up. And I don't like know a, if Yeah, that, an emitter, like a beam yeah. emitter of some sort. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of what I saw. <laughs> but, uh, I may have revealed a secret about how uh, uh, things are designed for movies. Get a oh. tank and then put that <laughs> flashlight on it. It's a gun. <laughs> I like uh. that street light. Can that become Boba Fett's ship? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, but again, so, another thing where uh, you know, there's obviously a whole bunch of thought stuff was thought out in terms of that whole homeland security is working on it. You know, the government knows about it. They're working on it. You can stand down, girls, yeah. and that that whole thing just kind of got. S- snipped out somewhere kind of gone again on the cutting room floor um and and the more articles and the more things that come out now that we can actually now that the the cast and crew behind the movie can actually talk about things that aren't going to reveal spoilers and the movie is out there for everybody to sort of absorb and pour over you know we start getting articles and and podcasts like the empire one where you know we can start revealing things like this and and even like in the the dvd and the blu-ray i'm sure we're going to get a ton of that which we've started even though it's it's tough to fathom because the movie's not even out in some countries right now we're talking about the home video release that's how fast things move um because you know as i mentioned like france won't see this movie for another three weeks but we're already talking about pre-orders for the dvd on september 8th um and yeah. I don't. I don't think that's a confirmed date. That's just what Target is saying is the uh, anticipated anticipated release date. So, you know, your uh, your mile your mileage may vary as to if it's going to be coming out on September eighth. But we do know that Target has a bonus disc, which they often do um, a, a retailer exclusive, so that you are encouraged to go to their store to buy the Blu Ray or the DVD. Um, it's going to have uh, the re- recreating the world of Ghostbusters special feature on it. And then we've also learned that there's going to be a 15 minute addition onto the movie, like a director's cut extended version of the movie that's going to be on the DVD Blu-ray. So that's that's cool. Um, oh, and the uh, the uh, the Steelbook. We didn't talk about the Steelbook yet no. either. So the, the, the Best Buy exclusives that were in Canada that then went to Germany, that then went to the UK, that then went to the US, that the US. are everywhere, basically, from Best Buy. But very um, very awesome art. I saw the same artist, and I'm blanking on his name right now because it's Dan not on there right now. Dan Mumford. Dan Mumford. Thank you. See, that you're wrong. Dan Mumford. <laughs> I, think, I think Dan Schoening's going to sue somebody. Uh, he can't. I came up with it. <laughs> it's his name. You can't you can't claim intellectual property rights over his name. I can claim performance rights. So uh, why don't you take that? It's like, hey, hey, and stick that in your fancy Stephen, LA year. Stephen eh? Colbert uh, not being able to play his own character, Stephen Colbert. That's what that is. Right. So why don't you why don't you stick that up your nose, you <laughs> hose head? <laughs> oh, you're so Canadian right now. Wethead. Wethead. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, no, it's uh, uh, Dan Mumford, and it's a complete wraparound uh, of the the team stepping up to the Mercado portal. Yeah, and tonally it looks a lot like the Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2 steelbooks exactly. that were the Best Buy ones, which are really great. He also... Um, They're going to look so great together. 
Yeah, they're going to look awesome on a shelf. Uh, he did some art that I saw at a Star Trek exhibit down at the San Diego Comic-Con. His art style is just, it's very awesome. I really enjoy kind of his take on things. And, you know, that that Mercado scene really lends itself to his art as well. So I think the Steelbook is where I'm going if I can get my hands on it. Yeah, um, you know, if, if Sony Consumer Products is out there listening, uh, find whoever is your people uh, gunning for... Uh, uh, what, what there's the term for it, and I've forgotten it now. For whoever's going to make posters for you, uh, like get key the, art designers, those type of people. I the, don't know. Yeah, yeah, just just get them to cut a deal with Dan because uh, an an oversized print that oh. has all three wraparound uh, covers from from the steel books, like. Because, I, I mean, you think about it, it's the front, uh, a little bit of the spine and the back. So he's made like a, you know, a 16 by whatever. It is It is like a cinematic uh, a rectangle framing. Uh, yeah. You put the three of those together, one after the other, on a, on a nice, on a nice uh, white uh, poster print background. Ooh. Oh, that yeah, that's be... a good print. Absolutely. Ooh. Yeah. So, uh, you know, again, uh, not a lot of details on the Blu-ray DVD release, but those are our forthcoming. And again, I'm sure that they're waiting for like, you know, uh, poor, uh, like the Ghostbusters of Japan haven't seen this movie yet. Let's let people see the movie before we start talking yeah, that's about the, the amazing video part is Japan gets it mid August. Yeah. Japan, then... they have the limited release next week and then they get it two weeks after or no a week and a half after that it's very strange the way that they're it's like it comes out in a few markets in japan and then it comes out yeah uh, i i don't understand i mean i don't know why they would do that maybe it's easier to to get the dubbed versions no it's all digital that doesn't make any sense it why well at any so rate, many questions so it's like it's maybe, another and, well, and maybe it has something to do with the marketing because as uh, you you've pointed out chris like france uh pizza hut is one of their promotional partners not papa john's uh-huh. but pizza hut so pizza hut. somebody uh, oh i gotta get the guy's name because actually I, I do want to do a shit okay you you do that while i talk about what is happening here so do pizza it, hut uh in france they for whatever because papa john's exists in france but pizza hut is the promotional partner out there so they've started putting out their you know their in-store ads and and sort of the the tie-ins kind of like we saw with papa john's now the interesting thing that we should talk about is there's so much papa john's product placement in this movie what do they do i mean did they did they shoot alternates did they render alternate alternate visual effects with uh, all of the papa john's times square stuff scrubbed out and pizza hut in there are they scrubbing out pizza boxes with with pizza hut instead of papa john's that they're eating at the like in that scene where they're at the table and they're talking about you know being ghost girl is that is that a visual effects shot now? Like, are they actually tracking pizza boxes and putting different logos on them? Or I float the alternate, which is, I think it's uh, Steve Rogers' notebook in Winter Soldier. So they shot multiple versions of it? How, how hard is that? How could that... Because if I recall correctly, it's, it's, it's the initial scene establishing shot of the fourth of the of them joining the other three at the table and the boxes are at the the end of the table right at the bottom front of the frame and then it goes to the back and forth over the shoulders all that sort of thing yeah and then they have the pizza so, on the plates as they're eating but you do see it in the could, wide shot could, you see the that, pizza boxes 
Yes, in that wide shot, but that's a very short shot, meaning how hard is it for somebody to say, I can't remember what the line is, but it's, I think it was a, a, a Patty. She just has to come up and say that line, which, again, it's not even a, a, a particularly, uh, uh, it's not like a huge joke or anything like that, as I recall. So she just has to do it a couple of times, and they swap the box. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Pop guy comes in. I'm putting podcast bet. Troy podcast thinks it's bet. digital. I All think right. it's practical. That they they shot if multiple takes with multiple, and, and I because you and I both know it is quite possible that it's like oh yes you can have it to advertise and sell a pizza all over France we're not changing the movie but they're not changing Sorry. the movie but and there are markets that I, they do that for the big movies like in China they will you know insert scenes where like in Transformers they had one of the characters drinking um like a a, a Chinese milk product of some sort like in the back of a car that. The U.S. market never saw like they inserted that one shot specifically for that one product placement. Yeah. So it's it's not it's not unheard of. And there's also the possibility that maybe they shot with the Papa John's boxes, but they didn't know that Papa John's was a promotional partner. So maybe they shot with like a generic pizza box, and then they shot with a Pizza Hut box, and then they shot with a Domino's box. And I'm going to stop you right there because we heard really early that Papa John's was involved, though. So yeah, well, I it was think... in the first trailer, right? Even prior to the first trailer, like, I mean, prior to that, it was announced that one of their promotional, and it didn't say how or what, but I remember that as filming got going, we heard, one of the first things we heard was that Papa John's was a promotional partner. You're right. Yeah, that's right. It was one of the, like, the Sony uh, consumer products, uh, press releases or something like that. So I can't honestly see that, uh, or or was it an interview with Mark Kaplan or something like that? Yeah. And and it was a surprise. Like, he revealed all Where we found out that Activision was still a partner on that. Yeah, I remember that now. What's funny is how the two companies decided to approach it because Papa John's went, they both went Slimer because I guess that makes perfect sense, right? It's the eating guy. They both, and then they both went, and what would Slimer eat? And Papa John's went, oh, a double stack. Like, more meat and more cheese. Yeah, obviously. And then then in France, they're like, the crust is stuffed uh, with the fromage with pesto. (laughs) Green, like the Slimer. It's 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 almost like a uh, a symbolic presentational thing as opposed to uh, just it's, straight just, he's up a gluttony. gluttony. Yeah, he's a glutton and he wants more. <laughs> um, but Who, I only did you found find it. the name of the uh, the the French ghost head? Well, the, that, uh, the reader the reader is uh, Bob. Uh, oh boy, I only said thanks, Bob uh, Cronin. I think. But anyways, he it's a buddy of his who lives in France. He's a rapper. I love it. It was like, just give credit to the French my pal French like he's my my pal sent this picture earlier today. I'm like, oh cool, can I pose it? He's like, Yeah, just give credit to French rapper uh Grand Grand Pamini. And uh, your pal is a French rapper? That's awesome. I looked it up and yeah. sure enough, the guy's the guy's uh yeah, uh, no no half stepping. Guy guy's got a whole YouTube channel of uh uh it's nonstop. Like it looks like when he's like bored. What'll I do today? I'll bake, and as I bake, I'm gonna rap about it. Like he just, <laughs> he just no, he just goes for it. But oh he's the God. one who took the, right. pe- the picture somewhere. I, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to get all uh, weirdly North American centric and say something stupid like it's in Paris or something. I don't know, yeah. but it's a, it's a nice, it's a, a clear shot of a, a poster in a standee outside of a Pizza Hut, and yeah, they're going with the SOS Phantoms, of course. Oh, Very excellent, nice. excellent. That's that's one of my favorite things is seeing all of the uh, the international translations again on posters and you know Casa Fantasmas and SOS Phantoms and that kind of stuff. Uh, very cool. Yeah, SOS Phantoms. Oh, cinema. Le 
2016. I don't know how to say 2000. 2016. I'd have to take your word for it because I have no idea. Uh, but but they call it pate cheesy crust. <laughs> pate cheesy crust, fromage fondant au pesto. Dispensable dance to le recette. It's cut off by the thing. I don't know what that uh, word is. I'm, if I if I was fluent in French, I'd probably me. know. I yeah. was like, oh, yep, uh, all right, that sounds French. Yeah, very From, good. Fromage fondant fromage, au pesto. Fromage. It's got a, it's got a full on. So it actually does look like a good pizza, to be honest. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, so good uh, good for the French uh, fans out there. Go get some Pizza Hut. Tell us uh, how that pesto Please tastes. Please tell, uh, tell us how it tastes and tell us how that scene comes yeah, in. Yeah, exactly. We need to know. And and so of note, you know, we won't really delve into it, but box office, everybody, you know, of course, because it's a movie and it is a business. Everybody's talking about it right now. As we as we record this, they're sitting at ninety six million domestic, one hundred and thirty two worldwide. But again, Germany, Japan, Spain, France, Italy—those are markets that are just opening yeah. the film right now. We so. are we are unusually recording on a Friday night, which means we do not have the we still don't have this weekend's again the weekend numbers. But uh, yeah, so but again, I mean, I'm sure they wanted more. I'm sure they wanted it to come out and make you know half a billion dollars uh, and. But you know, it's it's been a very strange movie season, especially this summer. A lot of the, like, look at Independence Day. Um, a lot of movies are underperforming, and and there's a lot of people trying to speculate as to why. Is it sequelitis? Is it people just not paying the money to go see movies in theaters anymore? What what is the deal with it? So yeah, well, there's there's a lot of. But I mean, it's it's still like we, the people that are saying that it's a flop. It's not a flop, guys. It's still making money, but. You know, it is it is a curious trend right now that a lot of the big summer blockbusters, uh, Ghostbusters included, are not making quite as much money as they usually do. Yeah, I, I uh, <laughs> there's an, actually an article that goes out of its way to say Ghostbusters still hasn't made its uh, uh, back its production budget uh, after two weeks. And I'm like, that's not terribly unusual. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of common now. Um, I, I, I I looked, so I, I played a little game, which was let's compare numbers. And it, what it I did was is find a genre live action film that came out roughly the same time in July, within the last uh, five years, uh, with a similar budget, meaning so no lower than I think the lowest was Ant Man at. No, Wolverine, the Wolverine at 120, 120 million. And I think the highest was Ant-Man at 160, I think. Wow. Close close enough, though. Like, again, uh, it's a wide swing. Like, trust me. Sure, sure. If I look at other movies and all that, they jump, they either go to the super big budgets or they're, you know, really lower, lower, lower ones. So these ones, I'm like, ah, close enough. Similar enough circumstances. Uh, and I had a look at them and yeah, uh, the two Marvels got theirs back, uh, by their second week. The Wolverine got its back by week four. Uh, and in the middle of it for, for hoops and ha-has because it had the same budget, but we know it, it went super hit. I put Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix mm. and yeah, guess what? It got its, uh, no, I have this all screwed up around. I'm looking at my notes. I should hold these in front of me. The two Marvels <laughs> got it by week three. Week three, Harry, okay. Harry Potter got it by week two, which makes sense given its uh, its big hit status, and the Wolverine week four. Interesting. But I mean, the- and, and the, 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 the amazing thing is, is if you plot them, 
they're all tracking roughly the same arc. Meaning, I, I mean, if you leave it mm-hmm. alone, barring the end of the world, I suspect uh, since Ant Man and Captain America came in at two point five. Yeah, if uh, it's probably pretty decent that Ghostbusters will come in two point five, which is not super success, but it's not bad either. But and yeah, not not too shabby. And the other thing too is we're talking about making the production budget back, and who knows how much they spent on their marketing budget. You know, a lot of people like to float around. Well, they need to make five times their production budget. They need to make four times per their production budget. Well, the thing that you don't account for is like look at. Um, Progressive and Papa John's and all of these promotional partners that they throw money into the marketing as well. So you can't really account for that. And it's for as, as much of a microscope that they put on these production budgets and the box office, there's kind of, there's a science to it. That's got a lot of question marks. There's a lot of like weird gray area in there where like, Oh, well we made 132 worldwide. We're, we're pretty happy with that. Well, but the budget was 150. Yeah. Well, the toys made X amount of dollars and Papa John's paid us X amount of dollars. And you know, there, there's certain things that we're not privy to that they end up, you know, it makes it it impossible to come in the front door if we don't know all the numbers and values because we can only guess but the thing i like this is why i did the 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 comparison thing is if you come at it through the the back door and compare it to the other ones uh captain america the first avenger they're now on their third one (laughs) do you know what i mean like yeah even though if depending on how you want to look at it 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 didn't hit the three times and it's a success at 2.5 marvel went uh, again, like you say, with the toys and merch and all, they went good enough to keep moving forward. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, and, same and with Cap, Cap One didn't do as well as Iron Man, or you know, I mean, yeah, Cap- Captain America: The First Avenger was a moderate success, right? Well, here's here's but, the thing: what we do know then is that every and somebody will go, well, yeah, well, it's Marvel; they're building their giant uh, uh, universe. Yes, they're building their franchise. Guess yeah. what Sony's plan is with this whole thing? And they're building their franchise. They're building their franchise. Yeah. So, like, if this thing, like, like hit its half uh what was the one somebody uh, was like oh it's this year's fantastic four and i looked at the numbers but no it's nowhere near this year's fantastic four if it would hit those numbers like the fantastic four numbers which it's not it's already well outstripped it by week two the arc the arc is well off and running uh different from the graph of fantastic four yeah i think sony may have went ooh, let's put this back on the shelf pull a spider-man because hey they've done that before let's put this away for five years and we're going to come back and and then start the whole process over again yeah What, what we're looking at here instead is that's strong enough that we'll keep pushing forward i don't know what that means for a sequel I mean, that could mean any number of things for a sequel, but it means the party doesn't stop. Yeah, they, uh, they know that it's a viable franchise and a recognizable brand. And that that's the thing that when people like to point out that this it's this year's Fantastic Four, well, but word of mouth on Fantastic Four was horrible. I mean, people yeah. people that did go to see it the opening weekend were not exactly going, oh, it was a fun movie, like a lot of people no, are saying that, with Ghostbusters. That, that flattened out so, that you see in Fantastic Four is because people came out on the first weekend oh, and went, Ew. It was brutal. It was i mean I, I i did a little work on it and i felt bad for some of the people that we had had talked to because you know they they knew that they were taking a risk with some of the things that they were doing on it but it was i mean 
just like to compare anything to Fantastic Four is like saying uh, that car wreck looks like the Titanic. You know, whoa, oh my God, do you know how horrible the Titanic was? That was just yeah. So uh, you know, it's it's tough to kind of make those correlations to it. And again, it's it's a it's a moderate success. It's not a flop. It's not like yeah. a huge. Oh my God, this is gonna uh, have legs for a month and a half. But, right, and, and the thing is, it'll turn into one of those things that people debate for years to come. Sure. If there was no, did the buzz? How much did the buzz help get people in the theaters? How much did the buzz hurt get people in the theaters? How much? Yeah. Because somebody pointed out they're like, "Why are Tuesdays always a big uptick?" And my guess was, I was like, "Because I think a lot of people are hearing the 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 weird buzz online and hedging their bets and going on." They're half price nights. Yeah, they're going on a matinee price. Yeah, or... At the end of the day, it comes down to one side wants to see it die, so everything's in black and white. And the other side, it's all grays. And since it turned out to be fun and it doesn't look like it's going to completely auger itself into the ground, fair enough. Good. Yeah, moving moving <laughs> on. More, more to come. Yeah, the exactly. The number of people who are like, you guys said it was going to be awesome. And I was like, no, we said it'd probably be hard to be awesome. But uh, that'd be great if it was, and it turned out to be okay, yeah, and we're man. happy. That's you so guys fun. said it was going to make Avengers money, and I was like, no, I said no. it'd be great. And I mean, it's got Ghostbusters yeah. stamped on it, so it certainly has that potential, but it looks like it's probably going to do half that, so uh, okay. Yeah, all right. I don't know. Well, I hate you know, numbers. I've had enough. I was going to say, yeah, days. The, the numbers, we, we have to talk about it because it is, again, it's the show business. But uh, you know what we can talk about? We can talk about the story and the characters and all the stuff that we love. And that's Ooh. the stuff that we can dissect and, and really get into. And again, that's the good news that the movie uh, has legs of its own and it can, you know, we, we can talk about those things. We're not completely bored by it. Like, well, eh, it was all right. Uh, so did you see those Mezco figures? Uh, no. We get to talk about the movie. So what we're going to do is uh, this is a, a rare instance where the first hour was the normal show. And now you're going to get two, two podcasts in one. Here comes the cyclotron. Here we go. Everyone's wondering the same thing. Murray, Ackroyd, and Raymond. Was that a law firm? Well, Spots is not here. That's right. He went to California to make a movie and they didn't take me with him. So Nancy, a crummy call. All right, this is a very special Cyclotron, everybody. We have two new voices for you. Well, one that one that you've heard before many a time, and especially if you listen to the Geeky Monkey podcast. And then another voice that you've heard many a time if you are an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fan. Uh, she's crossing over. My worlds are colliding here. But uh, Chris and I are, are pleased to be joined here in the Cyclotron by Mr. Paul Gannon and Mr. Good Paige morning, Branson. Stroke. Good evening. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's so. You know the magic of what we do here. Uh, it is morning for Paul. It is oh, very God. early morning for Paige, and it is yeah, late in the evening for Chris and I. Yeah. So in the dark, and the sun's coming up for him. It's science. <laughs> the world is flat. <laughs> the world is absolutely flat. I don't know what you're talking about, guys. But no. So yeah. So we're going to be talking about uh, story and characters. Kind of what we've decided to do is break the discussion about Ghostbusters, answer the call into multiple sort of topics so that we can sort of keep keep the, like a smaller grain focus and then we can talk about things multiple weeks. So in the weeks to come, we'll be talking about visual effects and we'll be talking about music and, and so on and so forth. But this week, we're going to be talking about the story and the characters and uh, the two people that are joining us the first are the two most enthusiastic voices that have been like Paul saw the movie like a month ago now and was like, I want to talk. Can we talk? I want to be on the podcast. I want to talk. And Every then, morning. Have you seen it yet? Can we talk about it? <laughs> You have no idea what my page is like. 
<laughs> watch the movie. When have you guys watched the movie? When we... It was yeah, it was very funny. Um, when when will you see it? And can I talk to you about it then? And and yeah, yeah and we finally yes. got to see it. And then Paige, <laughs> Paige, same thing. We talked about it. Uh, I was pleased to be a guest on their show, the Level Seven Podcast. Please go check it out. And uh, you know, she, she was very jealous that I was going to see it on that Saturday, and then she saw it uh, in the days following, and and immediately said, "I want to talk on the podcast." And so here we are. Yeah, we've got I've two seen it awesome four people. times. Like I'm, I'm I'm ready to talk about these characters now. <laughs> oh my god! Okay. It's, time to, it's time to do a count. How, pages four. I'm three. Paul, how I'm many are full. you? Four. I'm four. four. Yeah. I'm falling behind. Ooh, I'm three. I'm three. Wow, how are we behind? I don't know. We're sloughing, man. How's the Ghostbusters podcast behind? We need to. <laughs> although I will tell, I will tell you this: it's uh, there's a drive-in, one of the few remaining in North America, forty minutes outside of Vancouver, and it's playing there this weekend. So I'm uh, trying to find a moment uh, Mars where I'm doing it. I know. I'm gonna go sit. It's it's nice. It's green. It's lush. Uh, you know, it's very old school, but it's been updated. I'm looking forward to seeing it on the big. The are big there are there drive-ins in the UK, Paul? Um, only really bad old cinemas with no roof. Maybe that's about as far as it goes. <laughs> that you can drive your car into. <laughs> yes, likely. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, there might be one or two gimmicky ones, but it was never the culture over here. Maybe because of the weather. Yeah, that's true. The rainy season, which is every day, right? <laughs> You've yeah. never which been to Vancouver basically. then, obviously. <laughs> and yet you Fair guys no. have drive-ins. Yeah, exactly. All right, well, so you're going to see it at the drive I want to go see it at a drive-in. That'd be a lot of fun. Maybe I'll go I Sunday think- morning or... I think that's a solid fourth viewing. Go see it at the drive-in, like yeah. the good old days. Yeah, exactly. Go. If, hopefully, it's like a double feature with Ninja Turtles or something, just for old it's times' It's a triple sake. feature. It's with Star Trek Beyond, which I found out after I saw Star Trek Beyond on Tuesday night. So, uh, so yeah, I may stick around again. for it. I may not. We'll see. They after you know they save the world with. Uh, Hip hop, um, and then <laughs> the Shallows I think is playing, uh, which I'm vaguely intrigued by. But that's midnight. At which point I may just punch out. So we'll see. I may I may literally be driving an hour and a half to you know go watch the one movie, but it's worth it. I think Ghosts, Sharks, and Star Trek. That's a yeah. pretty good back to back to back. Yeah, <laughs> it is actually a good drive-in lineup. If I wasn't just perhaps a little seeing Star Trek and not in a rush to in a rush to uh but i'm not in a rush to see star trek again anytime soon oh, okay. let's go that way all right it say no okay. more just not in a rush yeah exactly um well hey let's let's jump into our our story and, and characters conversation i have a feeling if we start with characters that will inevitably lead into story so maybe we'll start there guys uh but let's i mean maybe let's let's start just kind of going around the studio and talking about our overall impressions of these characters um because you know there's a lot riding on the shoulders of four new leads that are obviously not vankman stance zedamore and spangler so um you know how overall you know impressions of the ensemble maybe Paige, you know you said you were dying to talk about these characters uh what what was it that you sparked to in particular um, I like the fact that they weren't carbon copies of the original four. Like, you couldn't say, like, that was the Egon of the group, or you couldn't say that was the Peter of the group. It, they, they really seemed to take, like, life of, like, their own, their own separate characters. They were their own separate archetypes, which I, I really, really dug. And going into the movie, I tried to avoid as much of the press as possible when it came to, like, any character profiles or anything, because I just wanted to go blank slate. I just wanted to just see the characters, let the characters speak for themselves on the screen. I don't need any little YouTube featurettes or anything. 
Um, and I, I immediately fell in love with all of them for very different reasons. So I'm, I, I, I totally dig them a lot. So you weren't trying to make the, the initial like connections to, well, this is the Peter of the group. This is the Egon of the group. This is the Winston no. of the group. You, you felt that no. they stood their own ground? Yeah, I really did. Because I didn't want to go in thinking that. Because I, even with this whole movie like as a whole, I didn't really want to compare it to the originals because th- th- that's a trap. Like I want, I want the movie as a whole to stand on its own, and therefore I wanted the characters to stand on their own. So I was trying to go in as blank as possible. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. Paul, how about how about you? Did you sort of get that same feeling? Um, what was really nice, I thought, about the new group was how quickly it comes together in the film. Um, one of the interesting things you always hear about Ghostbusters 84, which you'll have to start saying now, is that um, it's always going to be the main three. It's always Egon, Ray, and Peter, and then Winston is on the peripheral coming in. But what was nice about this was Patty was in pretty much from the start almost, and so that group feels mm. a bit more lived in at the halfway point. It's nice. It's like one of my favorite moments is when... Um, is it is Aaron is it, which Abby is uh, McCarthy's character, right? So yeah, Aaron yeah. Is, yes. And then Aaron I'm, Gilbert I'm is Kristen Wiig. Yeah, yeah. I like. Well, when it's Aaron been a while since you've seen it, right? Now at this point. No, I've just got a, a memory addled by drugs, so it's 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 more of a mental issue, health thing. Uh, <laughs> um, it's when Erin tells a ghost story, and Gillian and Patty are listening into it at the time, and you get this sense of these women all have each other's backs, and there's a real sense of family there, which you don't really get in the first one. And there's a different there's a different mm-hmm. sense of tone and heart, which I thought would only have come in from these characters. And so, that, yeah, that's part of the one, one of the things I really liked about it. There's a real family feel to it. There's a real kind of yeah. women getting each other's backs attitude, which which is really refreshing. You don't really get a lot in Hollywood films, full stop. Yeah, and you yeah. kind of get a, a little bit of the band getting back together at the beginning, which I liked as well. You know, in, in the original film, uh, P- Peter and Ray and Egon have this storied past where they're working at the university and they already have that bond, like you said. But, you know, in this one, they were already a family and, and Abby and Aaron had a falling out. And so you get to see them sort of reconnect and there's a little bit of tension there. And, uh, you know, the... the one one could argue that the tension goes away very quickly, but um, it's it's kind of nice to see these sort of estranged friends get back together and then start to share this love and this passion for being, you know, ghost hunters and seeking out the paranormal together. Which I, I really dug that too. Mm. Um, but, and then you, you mentioned Paul in there, um, you know, Patty joining the group very early on and and being an, an easy part of that. How did you guys feel about, you know, her? Her becoming an integral part of the the group and her contribution, you know, because Patty Patty was supposed to be sort of the Winston character of sorts to be the every person, the the straight person that doesn't understand the paranormal coming into it. But she she assimilated very quickly, it seems. I loved most of it. Um, definitely, like I love Leslie Jones so much. Um, she's an amazing actress and she's an amazing uh, comedian, and I really love her a lot. Um, her character, I I like the fact that the plot hinges on her, and everyone dies if it wasn't for her, uh, and her knowledge, and her just being there, um, and her actually being a vital part of the team. Like everyone dies if you if you take Winston out of the equation, we're probably still okay in those movies, <laughs> and that always bugged me so much. But in this one, at least, like she is an equal member of the team. And everyone dies. She's not there. Um, the part that I didn't like about her backstory is there was no reason why she couldn't have 
had a degree in history um, or any or like anything like that. It was cool that mm. they were really going for like the street smarts kind of angle again and about like she knows New York. That's fine. I it, I was a little irritated that they didn't just give her a degree. Like, there's no reason like nothing about her backstory or or any of her lines or any of her developments would have changed if they hadn't done that. Um, so that did irritate me a little bit. Well, do they do they outright say that she doesn't have a degree? Is it possible that she she was like a history major or something and just you know much much be. like all this is looking for a job and ends up at the MTA? Did I, I haven't yeah, been able they, to read the conversation? Let me just that. interject. Let me just interject here. You make it sound like it was an accident that she studied history and ended up at the MTA. History degrees don't necessarily find you great jobs there. Trump. Yeah, well, yeah, so, yeah that's what I'm saying. I mean, I you know, that. <laughs> I would have loved that. Cause like that's, that's, that's relatable. That would have been cool to have a couple lines of like, I got this awesome degree and I'm working at the MTA. Yeah. I'm not exactly yeah. happy either. Everybody. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's the interesting thing about that character is, uh, Paul Feig from the origin uh, from the beginning said that uh, initially that was Melissa McCarthy's role, and then during the development of the script, they decided, "Oh, let's flip it," and because let's give Melissa McCarthy something a bit more of a subdued role as opposed to maybe the bit more kind of angry, aggressive role we're familiar with. Yeah. And so when that switch happened, I think as a result, and as some people online have commented, and certainly uh, there's a great article on Mary Sue about this, about the fact that when you make that switch the character of Patty becomes a little bit more problematic because she's not the scientist and people relate that to mm -hmm. race uh, outside of, obviously, all the other issues you can complain about across the board with representation and gender and race in movies. But it is that thing where maybe just a little strand of something else might have been beneficial to kind of subdue some of that commentary simply by having that line saying, yeah, she studied history. Yeah, I would, just as devil's advocate, what's the word I'm looking for, Troy? Help me out. Devil's Advocate? Is that what you're Thank talking about? You. You yeah, you were there. You're there. Oh, no, yeah, I'm not there. Right. <laughs> Devil's Advocate, <laughs> I think that given the noise leading up to that movie, that had that line been there, it wouldn't have offset anything. I think it just would have right. been pointed at, and they would have said, right, you're just trying to make us stop pointing out your jerks. Um, I don't know. It, there's been a lot. There's a lot of stuff about this movie, and I think we'll probably trip over it here and there. That it was a no win. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like no matter what they did, it was never really going to satisfy everybody. So, and don't get me wrong. I mean, the fact of the matter is, if I had to pick, I, I'd love Petty to death because finally there's a, there's a humanities uh, 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 academic in the group. Yeah. Which mm -hmm. is kind of. It's kind of touched on that, uh, you know, Ray's the guy who reads the occult books and stuff like that. Ray's the closest thing to a historian, you know, with Egon kind of coming in a second in in the old group. Yeah. But uh, this time, there's a full-on historian. She's And she knows it up and down, left and right. Actually, what touching on everything we talked about, if uh, if they do a sequel... Uh, She's gonna. They're gonna have to do everything we kind of talked about with her, anyways, because they set her up to kind of fill a gap in the story of this one because she has to know New York inside and out. Yeah. The next time, how much it will it be New York? Especially since they're hinting at maybe moving outside of New York, she's going to have to display skills as uh, you know a historian um, outside of a New York context. So she's going to have mm. to say. No, I got this. I, you know, I studied it. I'm a historian somewhere. You know, she's going to have to basically everything we we just said. Oh God, 
She'll have to read was, up on it and, and sort of jump into it. Is that kind of what you're you're anticipating her doing? Like if they if they go and they have to deal with like Celtic, um, uh, mysterious Celtic entity, she starts reading up on on Celtic mythology. Is that what you're anticipating? Uh, I'm going to take a sip of my cider, He's and gonna I'm going to cider. and I'm going to say that everything you said is right. I don't know if it is, but let's just <laughs> okay. say it is, and we'll go from there. Well, so I'm kind of heading I, in that I'd direction. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'd love it if like if like it, it could be her like having to gain all, all, all the extra knowledge, or she could like call like one of her cousins because we already got a cousin Mookie, and maybe like yeah. they're all history buffs <laughs> on like different parts of history. <laughs> Who, that who loves awesome. his Vienna sausages? Yeah, <laughs> gotta call him up and get his expertise for the Vienna sausages. Um, or expand it out. Expanded out that yeah, like her family, maybe somebody owns a bookshop or something like that, mm-hmm. right? So not only is she now suddenly a better educated character, it expands out into her family and all that as well. Yeah. And we and we find out where she learned her love of it. It's there's like a lot of different ways that they can approach it. Yeah, I'm not 100% sold they could have perfectly done it in this one. I, I'm not saying Paige or Paul or anybody's points are, are wrong. I just think that had they tried it, it's still... I still We'd still be sitting here talking about how people are complaining about some angle of it just because nobody was 100% oh, wait, people happy. People are complaining about this movie? No, 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 no. <laughs> Everybody loves it. Yeah, This is the first I've heard. But hey, well, just... wait, wait, how is this the first you've heard it? How can I be like that? <laughs> Teach me, Paul. Oh, Teach man. me, please. Well, I'm going to I'm going to throw a complaint into the mix here and, and just see how you guys take it. Then uh, if I had one complaint about Patty, it's that me and the movie that I had written in my head before seeing it, I thought she was going to be the skeptic of the group and there didn't really end up being a skeptic of of the group you know even even to a lesser degree peter in the original film how you know he's it's kind of all of a, a joke and a dodge and a hustle to him i, I kind of thought patty was going to come into this like i don't believe in ghosts ghosts aren't real and and she was going to give us that sort of uh that how, yang to the yin but how how did she do that though given that the first time we see her She's run smack dab. Well, yeah, exactly. The angriest, most evil coast we can imagine. (laughs) I think it would rob her of some agency as well if you had her as a skeptic in that role. I think part of the reason why she joins the Ghost Bus is because she falls across this supernatural event and then kind of goes, this could be my new calling. And I don't think, as a skeptic, she would have followed that train of thought and maybe it would have brought her into the plot a lot later. You You would have had to maybe done one or two more scenes like that for it to sink in. I do think... Uh, economy is of the essence in many respects with this script and I think yeah. the fact that they bring Patty in as quickly as they do really helps that film settle down and get into a groove in the first what 20-25 minutes? Yeah very yeah. very quickly but I mean an economy but at the sake of conflict you know there's a little bit of like heist, heist gives them a little bit of skepticism but it's easily you know waved away and the government seems to give them you know, a little bit of skepticism that ghosts aren't real, but then they quickly get to the mayors and they're like, we know ghosts are real. Thank you so much. <laughs> you well, know? even in the first one, though, Peter's skepticism, skepticism, hmm, uh, the side devil's advocate, <laughs> uh, Peter's skepticism ends, oh boy, uh, with the library ghost, right? Uh, it's less than 12 minutes. Thank yeah. you, Ghostbusters Minute Podcast, because... <laughs> they're talking. They're handing crunchy bars around at twelve minutes. So, and that's coming back from the library ghost. So, Peter's skepticism is presented and lost within the first eight minutes of that first movie because there's no way to see a ghost and then go. You know what? I'm a skeptic. 
yeah. and it's the kind of yeah. the same thing here. We see Patty fairly early because they need her to jump in relatively quick, and she runs into a ghost. At which point, it just—I don't know—it just—it seems like it would be if anybody has that experience and then wanders around. It's like uh, uh, Scully in the X Files. <laughs> After eight seasons, it's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. come on, Mulder, and it's like, no, you come on, Scully. Where have you been for the last eight years? And I also think I mean, you have to have that group unified behind this common cause and the rest of the world is against them across the board in various aspects. Not just the supernatural, but just because, A, they're women, it's a weird job, uh, you know, ghosts in itself. I, I do think if you surround the world, those characters with that skepticism or that pushback uh, within the group, you should allow it that love of the hunt to kind of yeah. flourish. You are right, though, Troy. They, they, and I think actually what you touched on is how they kind of compensated for that. There's a little bit with the authorities, and then we find out what's really going on there. There's a little bit with Heiss, although that doesn't last long. There's a little bit with the public at large. There's a little bit with, uh, uh, like, uh, her, oh boy, the dean's name who escapes me now. Yeah, uh, Hig- the Kenneth Higgins dean. Yeah, so yeah. we don't have one character who's like, I don't believe in ghosts, but in roughly the first the same time frame, you know, the first act or first half of the movie, there is, uh, uh, it's all kind of been offset out into the, it was mostly Venkman in the first one with a touch of the public because we see the montages, you know, how is Elvis and have you seen him like, like some people say these guys are faking it, you know, uh, thanks Larry King. Um, <laughs> whereas this time it was almost entirely offloaded out into the the city and the people of the city. Yeah, and you do in, you get in, it in the little news, ways. Yeah, the news broadcasts, you know, because they have to be presented as frauds, they have to for protection of mass hysteria, uh, people have to be, be led to mo- believe that these things are not real. Yeah. So there is that little being, tension yeah. there. Being on the news where the guy goes, "Is it real?" Here, I'll turn to an expert. "Is it a real expert?" And the expert goes, "Hell no." there <laughs> that's an uphill battle that they have to fight definitely which by the way can bill murray do more guest spots on the uh, nightly news to just sort of put <laughs> things in their place as succinctly <laughs> as he did there like just, to just sit there and just be like no yeah <laughs> and like, they just pan away from it <laughs> how do you feel about this hell no done all right well <laughs> coming up next can I, can I just quickly add at this point as well, Bill Murray's cameo, much bigger than we all thought it was going to be, I think. But also yeah. people complaining, oh, he wasn't funny. But you know what I think he's channeling in that scene? I think he's literally channeling Walter Peck. I think he's got that same kind of snidiness yeah. down and dismissive attitude that I kind of understand why, if they'd made him a bit jokey, him getting killed <laughs> might have yeah. been edge. Even in that line delivery that he has where he goes, and now you catch ghosts. And then, you know, if you listen to Heist, <laughs> he he has that same sort of like pause before he says ghosts, almost like he's scoffing it away. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting that that parallel. Yeah, the one the one joke he sneaks in is when the trap pops open and he yells at a girl. Casper? Casper. And that's very Bill Murray. (laughs) You can't keep a good Murray down. (laughs) Exactly. Well, all right, so we're 20 minutes in and we've talked about Patty. So let's let's talk about... (laughs) Excellent. Let's talk about... Let's start with with Aaron because I was very surprised as to how much of the the audience point of view Aaron Gilbert ended up being. You know, she's sort of the first one that we see. We kind of follow her into meeting the other characters. Um, you know, this this sort of becomes Aaron Gilbert's movie to a certain extent. Um, and especially later in the third act when she starts to put the pieces together that this is what Rowan wanted and, and so on and so forth. So um, not not the, the Kristen Wiig performance. You know, she was very sort of 
reserved and you know she was just sort of you know bucking for that promotion and trying to get her tenure and um i again uh, the movie inside my head not what i expected Kristen wig to be i thought she was going to be the sort of vankman character who had a little bit of swagger and you know instead she wears the tiniest bow tie the world's tiniest bow tie <laughs> and the terrible shoes and um what what were you guys' impressions of, of Kristen wig's character aaron I wasn't expecting to love her as much as I do, um, but she's mm-hmm. the one that I relate to the most. Like uh, when I was talking about this with one of my best friends when we when we saw the movie uh, on my fourth time and her first, um, I basically said like I'm Aaron on the outside and Holtzman on the inside, and like she was <laughs> like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, I she she had like the best character arc out of like anybody um in the in the movie like she goes from like really really buttoned up and you can even see that in her costume design like really buttoned up really tight uh drab fabrics and then as the movie progresses they become a little bit looser they start to get a little bit more color and then when she's fully like more confident in herself and not caring about what other people think then her fabrics are even a little bit lighter and a little bit even more looser on her uh, which I, I I loved watching that progression there, just in the, in the costume design. Um, but I I really I I like her as a leader, like learning to be a sort of leader. Uh, like di- didn't wasn't even appointed as the leader, but you kind of get that feeling that mm. like oh she could do it if she just believed in herself. She could totally just rock this. And and has been kind of keeping herself down even to the point where physically at the very beginning when somebody mentions ghosts there's that little eye twitch that she has mm, where it's like yeah. nah, no yeah. don't yeah. let it come out again <laughs> yeah because it, it's it's easy in in comedies to go big and large and I think it's to uh, Kristen's credit that that character does so much without expending too much energy and there, as that character builds and develops over the course of the film that energy slowly seeps out in the ways that you know are positive for the character and, and that's one of the beautiful things about it like you just said it just explodes and it grows and so when you have that final moment between Erin uh, and Abby in the ghostly void that's a proper moment between the two of them that doesn't need to rely on the comedy anymore because you've invested in these characters for mm-hmm. all the little work they've done and it's a beautiful moment that you again you don't get in a lot of Hollywood blockbusters where two women can platonically celebrate their friendship and love and and risk everything to save it and that I mean that takes a lot of work just in terms of making you buy these characters in the first place yeah yeah. And she was she was so relatable with uh, especially at the beginning with seeking approval to get like a, a higher status and whatever she whatever she does like a lot of women have to deal with that like I am one of them <laughs> that kind of like feels that like uh, just day to day like unfortunately work retail and oh my god oh uh, yeah uh, just not 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 great um, but yeah I can I can really. I can relate to her eternal struggle in that aspect. Well, and to the point where she, when she's leaving, she makes a point to tell everybody, I didn't get fired. I'm just, you know, moving offices. There's cats in the wall. You know, she's trying to cover up that this embarrassing thing just happened to her. uh, But, you know, eventually embraces it. Um, Yeah, it's that nervous energy that is really sweet and endearing to that character. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of nervous energy. Do you guys get that? I mean, but with like Abby has a very kind of cool nervous energy with all of her own personality quirks and and obviously Holtzman, who we'll get to in a in a moment. Uh, but yeah, the the sort of all of these quirky characters, 
You know, much like when you're watching an episode of Freaks and Geeks, everybody has their faults. Everybody has these sort of personality mm. traits that either hold them back from something or or motivate them to do something. And yeah, I mean, again, characters that stand on their own, back to what Paige was saying. I, I really dug it. Yeah, like her little quirk sometimes and her little like twitches when she talked, it, it kind of reminded me a little bit. Like, I don't know if any of you guys watch um, Silicon Valley on uh, HBO. Oh, yeah. Uh, but Thomas Milditch's uh, character, uh, they have they had the same kind of speech pattern sometimes when she was like even talking to Rowan or just or, or talking sometimes. They were like little, little hitches in her voice, little twitches. I'm like, ah, I, I, that's very similar when it comes like the nervous pattern of speech. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so how about, how about Abby, Melissa McCarthy's character? Um, arguably, I mean, I would say if we were drawing conclusions to, uh, the original four characters, to me, she did seem sort of like Ray Stance, heart of the Ghostbusters. You know, she's the one who's carried this torch for all of these years, uh, despite the public's viewpoint and the two copies of Ghosts from Our Past being burned, um, you know, I, I, to me, she's sort of she feels like the embodiment of a Dan Aykroyd character. Character, if if there was one, do you guys get that same impression? Yeah, I thought of yeah. her kind of as like the Ray, or like the closest uh, approximation of the Ray of the group. With a touch of Venkman, she seems like the yes. talker of the group. Yeah, if you have to throw yeah, anybody true, a public official to, yeah, she's the one that they kind of throw at the cops after uh, Heist goes out the window. She's the one that uh, goes. You know, locks horns with the uh, the dean of her uh, of her uh, school. Um, yeah, she's very Ray. She's definitely you know the heart of it because she's the one that kept that fire going until uh, Aaron came back and all that. But yeah, there's a little. I I agree. I'm I, I'm not I'm not saying you guys are wrong. I just think there's a little bit of Eggman in there. Well, yeah, too. she she becomes the public like the uh, the public relations mouth of the voice because Holtzman obviously you don't want talking to the press and Aaron as we talked about <laughs> is a little little reserved and has her sort of ticks that she doesn't probably want to talk to the public even though she is the one who blurts out we're the Ghostbusters. Um, and then Patty, you know, Patty's going to tell it like it is, but um, to the point where uh, national television will probably bleep out what she says. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's got to be Abby to sort of give the the press release, the pe- the press conference kind of thing. Yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah, I really fell in love with Abby in this film. I mean, despite the fact that all the characters are really endearing anyway, I kind of related most to Abby, I think, in the film. But this is only because I have this weird thing with Melissa McCarthy where she's known for being a lot of, uh, like, having a lot of brash and loud and vulgar characters. And yet the two films of her daughter most in are this and Spy, where she's played, I wouldn't say humble, because that's not true, but it's like someone out to prove their worth. Yeah, I love Spy. yeah, and it th- there are similar traits within both characters where like they know they're capable, but no one takes them seriously. Mm-hmm. But when they're pushed, you know, down to the ground and made and made to fight back, that they really do, and they do it well. And there's just something about Abby in that film that I, I don't know. I just fell in love with. She's she's silly and she's sweet, and you can tell as well that that relationship between her and Erin is very important to her, and you can tell how badly burnt she was by whatever yeah. it was that broke them up originally. And it, it's just that inherent sweetness because a lot of people I would have imagined saw this cast list and went based on their past experience oh this is going to be a vulgar stupid silly comedy and they're all going to be extremes and blah 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 blah. and but you don't get that at all especially from the two characters and two actresses we recognize kind of perform those roles and the fact that they do dial it down means you kind of almost relate to them more yeah Mm mm-hmm 
Well, and, and Abby, I mean, you. what makes her endearing to me is that loyalty, she values loyalty so much. Like she even flat out says when, when Holtzman is introduced, Holtzman is loyal, and they kind of put their arms around their shoulders. You know, here's the, one of the biggest critiques that I have seen multiple times on reviews is like, if she doesn't like the wonton soup, why does she keep ordering it from the Chinese restaurant? The same Chinese restaurant with the same delivery guy. She she complains she about it. She believes in Benny. She he believes she's be loyal. It's loyalty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like she she has always ordered from that Chinese restaurant, despite the fact that they give her one wonton that's split right down the middle. But that's that's the type of person that she is. She goes back to the same people over and over and over. Yes. You're like, why would Kevin still have a job with them? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. God, good point. Good point. There's this. There's always this weird argument between. Um, people when they watch comedies where it's like where does the where's the comedy line for them when is it acceptable to have a joke except like one a person complained to me i think this is a great example of complaints within the logic of comedy in a film is that they can hire kevin who's an idiot and doesn't realize there's a phone behind the piece of glass but yet he can learn to ride a bike and i was like well this is i think if you want to make that complaint then you can say that's paul feig's complaint because script wise he can ride a bike improvised within the scene Paul Feig thought that was funny to keep in. And so there's always this line between what's funny within the scene and what's funny that will justify the character. And I think when people say things like, oh, it makes no sense that she'll order from the same Chinese restaurant, you think, well, does that ultimately ruin the film for you? And if so, stop watching films. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Com- comedy logic. I mean, it's it's like trying to, to place a logic on... Lewis Tully, like here's this bumbling guy who locks himself out of his apartment and, um, you know, might be the allegory to Kevin if, if you had to draw one, because he's the sort of more physical humory kind of guy in, in the first two films. Um, but you can't, you know, he's, he's an accountant and obviously he has lots of clients that come to his parties. So he's got to be capable as an accountant, despite the fact that he's maybe a little inept socially and not a snappy dresser. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you, it's comedy. It's, there's certain things that you have to, all right, well, sure. That's, that's the logic in this. No problem. You have to suspend your disbelief and, and accept it. Well, what I think that I've been going to, if we can quickly touch on Kevin, I think in that respect, I think basically what that character says is that he's good looking and he's coasted through his life because he's been good looking and it's afforded him some privileges inside his own mind to make him more capable than he is. So within the consistency of that character, I think that makes perfect sense that he's an idiot, but because he is so handsome, he gets away with murder and he has done all his life. Must be nice. Jerk. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I, you know, and and yes, there there are there are statements to be made there, but I feel like um, it, it's also a statement that's been made in a lot of '80s movies, where the you know attractive bombshell shows up, and you know she she's very pretty, and she gets the job, and you're like, okay, I I accept that. Why is it any different when you know yeah. Kevin shows up and he's very pretty to look at, and he gets the job. All right, yeah, great. It's the same Done. thing. They just they just switched up the sexes, but it's yeah. the same trope that's been played a million times. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, so let's uh, we'll, let, maybe we'll come back to Kevin in a minute because we haven't talked about Holtzman. We got to save, arguably to me, the best for last. Um, but I have seen some people say, "Well, Holtzman didn't really land for me," which was actually really surprising. I don't um, understand those people. <laughs> I d- yeah, I don't. Listening to the Empire podcast uh, the other day, um, out of the four of the group, you know, all three said, oh, yeah, I mean, Kate McKinnon steals this movie. Holtzman's my favorite character, hands down. And, you know, one one out of the four, and I'm, I'm blanking on which host it was, you know, said, ah, you know, it just 
I didn't quite get it. And I don't know if it's because she's so eccentric and she's so out there and she has these, you know, she, she speaks in pop culture references and, and sort of uh, embellishes because maybe again, it's, it's like a social, um, you know, some sort of a, 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 an inability to express herself. Um, actually one, one of the people that I saw the movie with, uh, said, Oh, she's, she's like autistic. She's like a savant. Like she's incredibly technologically well-versed, but when it comes to expressing her feelings at a bar to her friends, she can't do it. She can't speak what she has on her mind. Um, why, what, like what, what draws people to this character and what turns people away? Do you guys, have you talked to anybody who has been, sort of a, a, a negative advocate for Holtzman, somebody who said that they didn't like the character? No, no, that's oh. a first for me because yeah, all the yeah. people I talk to like joy uh, and happiness. So no, that hasn't happened. <laughs> I, have, I have fun loving friends that enjoy fun yeah, things. They yeah. enjoy smiling. So My friends yeah, aren't dead inside. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what page? Maybe a, a part oh, sorry, of that might have been that I think even though she has these beautiful moments, they are very liberally peppered throughout the film. She's not overbearing. So as a result, I think maybe in maybe that one reviewer's case from the Empire podcast, he expected more. And because mm. he didn't get as much and they were quite reserved of how they did use her, maybe that's why it didn't land with it. I can pretty much imagine that. It was only when I saw it for the second time did I realize, oh, I completely missed that moment that she did. And I completely missed yeah. that look. She's quite a larger-than-life character, but there's also very subtle moments that you that the camera doesn't linger on, that when you pick up on, go, oh, she's working all the time within these scenes. Yeah, and it's and it's sparingly used. I mean, I, I worry if, you know, in the sequels that they're going to Captain Jack Sparrow her because she's so popular with people, but, you know, she, she does. Like, she comes up in these bursts, and she's always working very hard in the background, but... You know, I, I can see maybe if she was the main focus, it, it might be a little too hard for some people to to follow, or it might get abrasive. Or, um, but yeah, I I I love Holtzman, guys. Like hands, <laughs> hands down, like if if there were a character from this movie that I would get tattooed, I'm not a tattoo guy, but that yeah. Holtzman man, that's how yeah. I would do it. See, this I, is I've the already thing. ordered I... her necklace. Oh, the the screw you necklace. Yeah. Excellent. Oh, that's fantastic. What about the glasses? Have you ordered the glasses yet? I already had some goggles already, so I didn't nice. have to do that. <laughs> I've already seen some fantastic cosplay as well with some yeah. recent Comic-Cons around, and it's just, that's beautiful to see. I mean, I'm just going to go ahead and say something probably outrageous right now, is that through all the three Ghostbusters movies, I'm going to say Gillian Holtzman's moment where she pulls out her tools and cleans a path through Times Square with the score kicking off and she's lassoing it might be my favorite Ghostbusters moment of all time. Yeah. It was I'm just one of those, because this is the thing as well, they never really folded the Ghostbusters theme into the score. When they yeah. did that here and she's kicking massive amounts of ass doing so, I have never been so emotionally taken with a movie. <laughs> it was just the most bizarre sense of, um, oh my God, this I've never seen this done with this franchise before and she's doing it and it's gangbusters. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, every and, time I want to like hold up a lighter, <laughs> just like yeah. it's the best moments. <laughs> and, and interesting, Paul, because out of the Empire podcast too, uh, Paul Feig was talking about how that scene was initially cut to ACDC shoot to thrill, and now it's got that big like Theodore Shapiro score moment in it that everybody's like yourself is talking about. That yeah. God, that scene would have been so different if it was set to a, a needle drop cue like that. It wouldn't have had the impact that yeah. it does. 
No, it makes it epic. I mean, people complain sometimes about the fact that the Times Square scene lacks a little bit of agency and it just kind of, it's a bit clumsy and I can see that, but it's worth it for just that one minute of film where Gillian Holtzman uses Ghostbusters equipment that we've never seen used in that context before because we're used to seeing Ghostbusters, you know, use them as traps and, you know, and long devices, but they're actually using these like a cowboy would use a lasso. And it was just, it was mind-blowing. I, I mean, I, when I went to see it with my partner, she said that made her well up because she'd never seen mm-hmm. that kind of moment before. Yeah. Or just the, the whole ending fight scene for me was great because I think that Paul Feig said on, like, some article that, like, he took inspiration and, like, uh, choreography from, like, kung fu movies and stuff. And I was like, oh, my favorite things? Great. That's why <laughs> I like this whole sequence so much. Like, I could see what everyone was doing. I could see everyone using the tools that had been set up earlier in the movie i could tell what everyone was doing because no shaky no shaky cam yeah. uh, that made me incredibly happy and just to top it off with holtzman's moment that was just oh so good well and, and almost kind of a callback to to the um to the video game they're, they're not trapping these ghosts they're just wearing them out by slamming them all over the mm-hmm. place and the ones that patty doesn't send through the chipper you know they're they're still down on the ground they still exist they haven't crossed over to the other dimension which wouldn't have made much sense because the dimensions had merged. So what are they going to do? You know, they're going to yeah. just release them again or yeah. Um, but yeah, I, yeah. Third, third act. Well, that's, the, that kind of gets us into stories. So before we get there, um, let's keep talking a little more character stuff because we haven't talked about Rowan. Um, but uh, any, any other Holtzman thoughts before we move on guys? Um, oh, just that she's always in my thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. She's just always in my head. Okay. She's never leaving. I'm fine with that. She's never leaving. It seems, it seems safe to say that she's made a pretty lasting impression on the Ghostbusters culture, Ghostbusters lore. Um, and, yeah. uh, yeah, what that's again, always a good sign. Um, so, okay. So let's talk about Rowan. Um, dear, sweet, misguided Rowan. Um, so stop me if you guys have heard this one. Um, he's an individual who thinks that society is too sick to survive. Um, and so he starts these series of bizarre experiments to bring about the end of the world. Um, if anything, guys, this, this is because it will lead into story. Like to me, this is the biggest draw to the original movie. This is our, our Evo Shandor Gozer worshipers, uh, kind of all merged into the, kind of creepy guy that sits in the diner across from you that you're not so yeah. sure that you want to be in the same building with. Um, again, critiques that I've seen is that he doesn't have a backstory and that you don't quite understand why he's doing what he's doing. But I didn't, I was following along with him I, I the entire time. <laughs> yeah. He, he was Reddit personified. Like I got it. I understood. <laughs> I think I, I would like to see more scenes with him. I will say that I think, um, it would have been nice just to to sketch him out a little bit more than the few scenes we had, um, and some of the lines were a little bit too on the nose, which which kind of laboured some of the point a little bit. But ultimately, it was interesting to have such a human villain when yeah. usually we're used to dealing with gods and and Machiavellian kind of manoeuvres, and he was a guy who was just bitter, angry, and was using the same tech uh, as Erin and Abby had you know come up with to exaggerate and to you know create the the fourth cataclysm yeah what what were the other three what do you guys think the other three were chris chris and uh, i have kind of talked about it but what do you guys think uh big brother the tv show that's the first <laughs> yeah yeah i can see that uh the current the ending of lost the ending of lost yeah. is yeah. probably another one 
<laughs> Possibly. <laughs> the the American presidential campaign being the third. Oh, yeah, um, that, that does seem it's like it's urging <laughs> on towards the fourth, that one, frankly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it would have been... Uh, the, I was fascinated by that character, and I liked what they were trying to do with it, and I kind of would have liked maybe one or two more scenes... I don't know, just just to get to know him a little bit more, more than yeah. anything else. Well, and did you guys watch Other Space by chance? Yes, I did. And I pa- I've Paul not is, seen that. No. Uh, well, I think it's geofenced in the UK. That's why I asked. I don't even know if, if you're able to watch it. Um, I can't even get it liked. online anymore now that Yahoo, whatever they were doing, is gone. Is gone. Yeah, it's sort of it's and it's such a great show. I think you know, especially the uh, the the British viewers would really jo- enjoy it because mm-hmm. it's it's really up that sort of British comedy alley. But Very but rich. Neil. Like his his character in other space, that's what I was really hoping to see, and I think yeah, benefiting from a little more screen time uh, would have sort of helped him sort of convey that character. Like okay, there's a little weirdness going on with this dude, and you start to spend some more time with him, and you get a really good sense of that. But yeah, I I I I was along for the ride though. I mean, the minute you see him walk into that basement, muttering to himself, talking into the mirror with his like JFK, uh, cork board, you go, yep, this guy's got a screw loose. He's, he's done. Uh, well, Kate Dippold says in an interview, uh, where did I read it? I can't remember now, but she said there were loads more scenes with Rowan and he was yeah. a great improviser and lots of funny stuff was coming with him. And I can imagine there was just enough within the edit from that four and a half hour edit Paul Feig initially put together to what they came out with. I think there was probably more there. And I would, I, this is the thing, if there's a director's cut coming out, which I believe there is, I would love to just see if there's any room within that film yeah. to add a bit more Rowan. Yeah. I'd love to see that four and a half hour cut, even so, if it is a rough assembly. Why not? I, I, I don't care. Like I yeah. would, I would, I don't <laughs> <see it. laughs> but so, I mean, okay. So that, that sort of is a good segue into uh to story. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate that. Um, Huzzah. <laughs> uh, in terms of the holes, like things that you wanted to see more of that weren't exactly there. What, uh, what kind of left you guys wanting more or what sort of side stories or subplots or things that you wanted to see more of uh, weren't present in this movie? I wanted more backstory about Aaron and Abby's falling out and like how like how they were when they were kids and then they're falling out and everything. I wanted like a little bit more of like of their fractured relationship. And I got that a little bit with the book, like the Ghost yeah. of Our Past book, yeah. which is oh so great. Like, but not a lot of people know about that book, unfortunately. Um so it, it, it's good that I have it and I was able to read it, but I would have liked to have seen that a little bit more in the movie, I guess. Like the, there was enough emotional payoff when Aaron goes into the portal to save Abby that it made me cry. Honestly, it made me cry. Yeah. It, there was, there was more than enough, but I think that it could use just a little bit more for everyone else. Not as insanely invested in these characters. As I it, f- it feels like it was on the cutting room floor. It feels like there was yes. a fracture that happened there. Like she goes back to her apartment after her meltdown in the streets in her trench coat. I, I don't like, I've, I, and Chris and I have talked about this before too. We feel like there was something missing there. Like there was Same. a big blow yeah. up where they had a big fight and they all split up and they don't mm-hmm. want to see each other again. Would, th- would that have helped a little bit? It would have helped so much because then they might have gotten into like, oh, you you left me before, you're doing it again, or, or just some some big blow up thing right there would have like really really helped a lot. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Actually, there, is, there is some weird uh, 
problems as it gets into the third act where things just seem a little bit fractured plot-wise. And again, I can only imagine that was just due to the edit. But, you know, you do feel like when you see when you see Erin in a room looking through the book, uh, that something happened before them because she seems more broken than just having them being fake arrested on TV. Yeah. Right, she's back to all the muted colors. She's back to all the grays. Yeah. And the, just like her whole, her whole apartment, too. Like, it's back to the super muted grays. Well, mm. Do you guys remember, I don't know, did you retroactively go back and watch the featurettes page, uh, like all the behind-the-scenes character vignettes? Yeah, yeah. Because there's, there's, one, there's one moment in Aaron's where some dude walks up to her and is like, you're the ghost girl, you suck, you're a total fraud, and she punches him in the face where she looks legitimately angry, and then, of course, it leads to the B-roll moment where they cut away and Kristen Wiig actually punched the poor guy in the face, and she sort of laughs, and she's like, oh my god, are you okay? <laughs> Yeah. Um, but I like m- maybe that's part of that moment because it looks like they're leaving the Mercado or they're out front of maybe even the rock concert or something. So maybe there's something that happens there. Like, look, we're saving the world and nobody gives a shit. So let's leave. Like, I'm done. F- forget these people or something. I don't know. It's so I, I wish I knew what that was. And maybe we yeah. will see in-, in the director's cut during the deleted scenes or something what that was supposed to be. But um, what what else? Uh, any other holes that you guys have have sort of uh, latched onto? I feel Possibly. like there should have been more done with like the Homeland Security agents because um, they were just kind of there. Uh, and and I know that like the whole the dance sequence uh, was cut and then put into the credits. But I just feel like if you hire Matt Walsh and you just make him stand there, you're wasting <laughs> Matt Walsh. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And the same thing, I think there was a deleted scene in there because in the Empire podcast, uh, Paul Feig talks about how they have like a proton cannon tank that they bring to the Mercado and they shoot the building and it just charges it even more. Like <laughs> it's kind of, it's like they're, they're diehard, the tank driving up to the Nakatomi Plaza and they just yeah. blow up the tank like that. M- maybe just showing how inconsequential all of the tools at the disposal of Homeland Security are might have mm-hmm. helped a little bit but yeah um, I, I, the dance I think the dance sequence probably was what that was supposed to be but you know that, my personal feeling on it is it would have sucked all of the energy out of the movie like oh, that totally. third act is rocking so hard and then if there's a stop down for a dance sequence like yeah, yeah. I, I definitely understood the logic of taking it out because it would have it would have taken out the threat of, of Rowan if he's like making everything all goofy all of a sudden. It yeah. would have it, it would have been like a weird tonal shift right before like a major fight. So I, I get that. And where would Still, Rowan have got those out. sick dance moves from anyway? That's the big question here. <laughs> you don't know what he does in that basement. He's got a mirror. Maybe that's all. Like he I spends his entire Kevin's, night shift. They're probably Kevin's moves, much like how he rides the motorcycle. Yeah, oh, yeah, good point. Chris Hemsworth is unfair. The fact that like he can dance <laughs> like that and he understands comic timing and he's Thor, that is not fair. Yeah. Mm. It isn't fair at all. And there are spare Hemsworths. <laughs> he has spares in case this one goes down. <laughs> we have backups. Oh my god. Yeah, I yeah, the the dance moves, especially seeing those in the uh in the credits god yeah that guy he's got to be a lot of fun to just like go hang out at a bar with because i bet you know much like thor he can hold his drink and but also entertain the crap out of everybody around him yeah Um, i will say this though in terms of what i liked about the um the plot and how it was different from the original 84 film the 84 film does talk about the kind of small business big success 80s booms kind of thing going on what i liked about this one was that um 
they don't actually become huge. They, they, they're still under the radar even at the end of the film. And it takes yeah. that little beautiful moment of, the, of New York itself saying thank you for, us, for like, anyone to realize that. But I like the fact that it, they're kind of underplayed in the underdogs, even right towards the last frame. And, and that was a surprise, I think. Yeah, they, they sort of earn their celebrity throughout the, the course of the entire movie as opposed to it happening in the montage, which I, I uh, last week I talked about, you know, that I wanted a, a montage in the middle there just for me to see them becoming successful and everybody knowing who the Ghostbusters are and just to have a montage to the Ghostbusters theme song. But yeah, talk, talking to you guys now, I, I want to take that back because I do. I love that. I love the fact that they're not celebrities until the very end of the film. Because they, they don't realize they, they, you know, everybody's public perception of them is that they're frauds and that they're causing these fake electronic light shows that are destroying half the city or whatever's happening. But then at the end, they realize, oh, these people know what we do. These people care about us and they're thanking us. Uh, I, yeah, that's, that's such a great moment that it would almost cheapen that if you did have a montage in the middle, seeing them being successful. Yeah. yeah and actually, when you think about it. Too. So we did. And I cried during that, too. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. I mean, this is the thing. I mean, I I, I appreciated the film for what it tried to do differently from the first film whilst keeping it very much Ghostbusters. I mean, when you think about how much Ghostbusting is actually done with over the first two films, it's not that much. It's like, you know, you see bits and bobs, but it's not that much, whereas you get more than your first share in this film. And yet they don't lean into they're superstars of the supernatural. It's like, no, they're just really good at their job. And yet they're not getting the credit still. And that's part of the reason between them and Rowan having this kind of same angst, but different approach to dealing with it. So, you know, uh, Rowan's all, oh, I was bullied and it's not fair and everyone needs to pay. And Abby was, well, yeah, we get crapped on basically all the time. Still on us all the time. Yeah. 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 A certain set of circumstances creates Batman. A certain set of circumstances creates the Joker. And that's exactly their two shades of the same coin. Yeah, exactly. Um, what, uh, and things, things that you liked the most, I mean, we did talk about a little parallel to 1984 original film, but in terms of the story, were there any big surprises that, that sort of, uh, stood out to you guys or, or story, story plot points, things that you weren't expecting or, or like things that you were like, Oh my God, yes, I'm, I'm following this. I love this. I liked that the government and like uh, and, and the mayor were like actually kind of on their side this time and it was like a different kind of hoop they had to work around when it came to working mm. with like the bureaucracy of dealing with like homeland security and and the mayor and the mayor's office. Like I, I, I like that they weren't really super at odds, but they were definitely still at odds. Yeah. Yeah, that was really refreshing because obviously there are those tropes within films where you go up against the government and you have to prove that you're right and they're wrong. And in this sense, it was just, oh, no, we know you're right, but we can't possibly tell the public that because, you know, mass hysteria. So uh, shut up and get out. (laughs) And that that was really refreshing. You don't often get that. You thought, I mean, one of my favorite lines is when uh, Andy Garcia just says, don't you dare compare me to the Jaws mayor. You know, because he's still playing the game, (laughs) but he's still very aware of the role he has to play when he's being the mayor. Yeah, the the I, for all of the arguments that there was not a Walter Peck character that was sort of uh, the antagonist to them, it it was refreshing that the government wasn't the heavy Big Brother organization trying to bring them down. That was that was kind of nice. Uh, to me, that was the unexpected twist that I I figured the minute that Cecily Strong showed up, yep, here we go. Here's the government telling them like, all right, knock it off. Whatever magic you guys are doing, this is stupid. Uh, 
it was it was kind of nice that they go oh we we know that the paranormal are real we know that there are aliens we know that all of these things are happening people are turning inside out and whatever but you don't and we make sure that you don't know that i yeah Mm. loved loved that um and, and it does open the door now for some x files type stories that could come you know where things happen that they have to uh dismiss or they uncover conspiracies of things that everybody else knew about but nobody else did um that kind of thing yeah ghostbusters been in black crossover (laughs) well they got to do 21 jump street first and then for some reason (laughs) (laughs) because we all asked for it i mean you know if if i'm going to play the fan fiction card what i would love to see is them go up against like those tv show ghost hunters I'd like to see something like that happen. I thought they were going to do that as well, very yeah. briefly, when they mentioned the TV show, The Ghost Jumpers or whatever it was. Um, I was like, oh, I wonder if they dig into that a bit more. And frankly, that might be my pitch for a sequel, put them up against either a rival ghost hunting group or put them up against a kind of ghost hunting TV celebrity thing. Yeah, almost like a little like Frighteners, where if uh, somebody has a ghost and they're putting on these cons or hustles or whatever and, and it's giving the Ghostbusters a bad name, that's that's an interesting angle too. Yeah. Um, uh, so I know I played the fan fiction card way too early. <laughs> That's all right. That's okay. Uh, Chris, you've been really quiet. Did you get food? Is that what's happening? No. <laughs> if that was the case, you'd hear me. <laughs> God, I'm hungry. Yeah. I need breakfast. I know. We've got we've got Paul uh, eating breakfast and and Chris eating dinner. So no, it's the usual where everybody's making excellent points, and it just feels out of place for me to start going. I have something to add, and I don't really have something to add. So I, I just didn't want to force <laughs> force my voice into the mix just for the sake of forcing my voice into the mix. Oh, no worries. All right. Well, so let's uh, we're coming up on our hour, so let's let's hit one last point that I want to hear everybody's thoughts on. Um, what does this set up for the future? I mean, story, story-wise, character-wise, we've established that, yeah, these characters stand on their own, and the story has, uh, you know, merit to continue on. Um, but what? what, what, what are you guys excited for in sequels and comic book tie-ins from IDW? Are you listening, Dan and Eric and everybody? Um, <laughs> but hire we, me too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hire Paige. Paige is an excellent artist. If you haven't seen her, uh, her t-shirts that that are out there, super awesome. But uh, yeah, what what excites you guys of what this is now open doors for? I think I mean this is like a common complaint I have about Ghostbusters too, and you know people like to rail on that by and large these days. But I still have a very fun moment in my you know it's still fun to me in my heart if that was even a decent sentence, which it wasn't um, about Ghostbusters too. Is it's still those characters, it's still that world. I love it, but it's a retread. It's it's still very much a bad sequel in terms of it retreads everything you saw from the first film. You already got more variety in this new reboot make sequel esque thing than we got in that sequel, and I just think ultimately if they're going to go down a new route now with a new sequel to this Ghostbusters I'd like to see them get out of New York I, I do think Paul Feig's idea about you know going around the world or going elsewhere in America will be a great place yeah. for them to start so How not not I- Zool that's interesting yeah. not oh, yeah. not the Zool tag at the end but I could only imagine that was a gag though more than a proper plot yeah. point ah yeah, that that's what I thought it was too it was just like a cool little like fan gag to put in but like <laughs> Even if they do want to reference it in the next one, what I want is like the movie, the next movie to open with them just busting Zool. Like just, just, oh yeah, that, that's, that, that's the end of that adventure. And then they move on to something totally new for the rest of the movie. So it all happens off camera. That's, that's interesting too. That, yeah. yeah like, oh, that's the first thing. With the, the first thing that we see in the second movie is them crossing the streams and a rooftop exploding. Yeah. 
Yeah. And yeah. They just they just bust it like it's like another Tuesday and like, oh, we're done. <laughs> we're done with that. And then they just move on to something totally original. Yeah, because I couldn't imagine that being any more reductive. Yeah. To just go and retell the Gatekeeper Keymaster story again. And if people were going to complain about comparing this to the 84 film, can you imagine the complaints you'd get and the, the, the problems you'd face having to literally remake that plot? I just can't imagine it would, it, it would do anyone any favours. It would be nice to get it out of the way, almost as if the tagline to the film, the tag joke to the film is the tag opening to the beginning in that Indiana Jones, James Bond way, and then just move on to something yeah, else as quickly exactly. as possible. <laughs> the Ghostbusters will return. Yeah. Yeah. And they should call it Ghostbusters International, and then I can get my board game out for the first time in years and justify myself playing it. <laughs> yes, you have to do it. That's that's what came out of our chat with you, Paul, is that uh, you and Chris need to have a good role-playing game session here. Yeah, we do, because I've, I've never played it. I've had it in my life for 20 years, and it's just sat there. It's pathetic. Oh, I'll book a ticket tonight. See? <laughs> Right. Bring bringing friends together since 1996. Yeah, uh, uh, Paige, I I totally stepped on you when you were about to say you know what you were excited for uh, in the future. What what were you going to say there? Sorry. Uh, th- one of the other things that I I would be excited for in the future if it was going to be a thing would be like a cartoon series or something. Like I had the real Ghostbusters when when the originals came out, and that became my true love of the series. Like I love the movies. But the real Ghostbusters cartoon series was where I really, really, really got to know these characters. And I love the mythology that that set up. And I love the sense of family that you got from, from that cartoon. It's the same sense of family that I get from this new movie. So I'm like, hey, where's my cartoon animated by the people who do Korra, you know, and like Ooh. Avatar. Like, can I have that now? Can I have that on my screen? No, guys, anyone? No. They're working on it. They're trying. They're getting there. But what, and what's interesting about that, too, is if it takes place 30 years in the future, it can be kind of real Ghostbusters-esque where they both can coexist and, you know, maybe a little bit of something from real Ghostbusters or now in this case, Ghostbusters Ecto-Force informs the next live action movie mm-hmm. and, and vice versa. That's that's kind of nice. And they don't have to be completely contingent upon each other. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to add something profound and then I just realized I had nothing. That's cool. <laughs> we take I take Yaz. Yaz are good. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I, I, it would be the thing is, you know, it was nice setting up this universe, and it would be great to, if in a sequel, uh, expand that universe, but n- not worry about the busy work in doing so. I'd like to see it a little bit more fully formed. So, if there are new members of the team, just have them there, and then learn through who they learn who they are through their adventures, um, things like that. Just things. The one of the things I hate about sequels is this ne- unnecessary ne- need to uh, tell the same story again or spend a lot of time running on the spot before anything happens. And I just think you've got a great opportunity here to have a proper franchise for the film and let's let's just bring that in and get as crazy as you can with the possibilities. Yeah. And, and if the the four new characters were to interact with the four original characters. How, how do you guys see that going? Would that, would that be jarring? Would that be really weird to see? Or would you be, would you be down with that? Would you be really excited to see something like that? It'd be I, I, I would, I, I would actually like to keep the separation. Yeah. Same, same. Like really? why, I, I why? Love, yeah. I, because, I love uh, thinking about it as its own thing. <laughs> it would probably be a great comic book one day, but I think, you know, it, it, it's more down to the fact that I think it's it's a tone issue, and I think the Ghostbusters '84 is a very different tone, a very different world than than the world that Abby and Erin exist in. And I think putting them together would only add an unnecessary friction to that mm. unity. 
And I think, let's just keep it separate. Let's just build on what we've got now rather than start digging up the grave of what we got in 1984, 89. Yeah. But what what if there were to be... Say there's a little nod, like, okay, in our in our dream version of the sequel that opens up with them on, you know, the top of Shandor Tower uh, crossing the streams, and there's the little glimpse on the other side of the door of four other Ghostbusters doing the exact same thing to close that door, and you go, oh, I get it, they coexist with each other, but they never cross paths. Like, would, would something like that be welcome, or do you not want that entirely? Do you not want to see any of those lines drawn? That would be okay. I, I would might- be down for that. I would actually add in as well a more fractured thing. So you, maybe you can see the new Ghostbusters or the extreme Ghostbusters as well, or just like a, fr- a kind of fractured mirror, shattered glass effect of mm. all these different parallel things all staring at each other through this vortex. Maybe do something like that and go crazy with it. Yeah. Or, I don't know. I think it'd be too on the nose. I mean, people have, one of the complaints about the reboot is that, you know, it's never going to be the original. Why invite comparison by having them face each other? I think it's, it's nice that they exist in their own little bubbles. Yeah, let let them live on their own. Let them breathe on their own. Yeah, yeah. Because otherwise, it's a, it's a disservice to both those characters. You know, the, both those groups. And I think you know, it's nice that one can lean on the other. And we had the iconography there. But I don't think you need to, uh, you know, steer the pot and make and make people go. Oh, yeah, it makes me you know wish Peter Venkman was hanging out with Aaron. It's like I don't think Aaron would like Peter Venkman very much, really. You know, mm. he's a trigger warning all by himself in this day and age when you think about it. <laughs> so, you know. That's, yeah, poor poor I mean, Peter Venkman in 2016 would probably be behind bars, which is <laughs> sad, <laughs> Very sad to say. Um, but, uh, yeah, well, what, what you know, the other, the other side of that, too, is what if the next live action movie is four entirely different new characters? Uh, would that be something that would be welcome, too, to you guys? Not to me. Because <laughs> yeah, you love these characters. these characters. I love these characters too much. You can't, you can't just drop them that quickly. Yeah. Yeah, and also then you have to go through the whole building the team, their first case, them not taking exactly. seriously. You, you, are, you do repeat the beats then if you, if you follow that. This is why if you can kind of have a fully formed universe to slip back into, then you can go, oh, wow, they have a, they have a Queens branch and they have an L.A. branch and they have a London branch. Yeah. And then there's, you can do little side jokes to how this franchise is growing and you can do little nods and you can cast your heart's desire. If, you know who would work in London's branch and who, who would work in Japan's branch. Oh. You can do little things like that, you know. But you wouldn't necessarily have to invest in those characters as a result. But then you've got a whole world of fan fiction literally bleeding out. <laughs> so, and and I just like maybe it's your accent, Paul. But as you were talking, I have these visions of Holtzman as like the Q of Ghostbusters International. Like they all go <laughs> to like the catacombs under London, and there's Holtzman with like, okay, what do we got? We got this. All right, let me get you this. And he, pulls, he comes over, and here's your Canon, and here's this and you got to get a jetpack and oh my god bring on that fan fiction all right who's yeah, writing that one make that happen yeah <laughs> i had a little bit of a sexy moment with myself just then actually with the with the thoughts <laughs> so <laughs> it's a good morning in london oh dear i'm a very early riser oh dear it's gone uh, to that point ah uh, there goes our explicit tag all right I so apologize <laughs> Um, so yeah, guys, uh, any, any final thoughts before we sign off here? And, uh, and you know, I, we're, I'm sure we'll be talking about this movie uh, multiple times again. We will have you guys back on the show. Uh, so please don't feel like this is your last word, but, uh, in, anything to button off this podcast with. I will say one thing then, uh, uh, my personal memory is that, um, 
when I saw the first, the third, I'll start again. When I saw the film for the first time, it was a press screening. It was a small studio at Sony, uh, very impersonal. Uh, it was almost like you're embarrassed to laugh because you know you're with critics in the same room, and it was it was nice and fun, and I enjoyed the movie, but it was sterile. Um, what made it for me was when I saw it the second time, uh, and there were families and kids involved, and there were two kids sitting next to me, a boy and a girl, brother and sister, both really excited. Um, and my first initial um, thing was. Oh, they're going to ruin this movie for me. This this is so too important for me that, that these kids are going to ruin it. And actually, by the end of that film, those kids had made that movie for me because they were grabbing their mum at the right time when things were really scary and then cheering at the end when they were kicking ass and all these things. And I was like, you know what? That was me in 1984. And for all the adults who said, oh, it's ruining my childhood. Well, guess what? Your childhood ended when you had puberty and had to get a job and pay your first rent. This is their first moment this is their childhood this film is for them and it works gangbusters for those kids and that to me means that film works and that's why I think this film is adorable because I, I, I it reached out to the kids that I was in 1984 and I think that means mission accomplished yeah yeah so when I <laughs> yeah yeah so so when I saw it for the fourth time, I saw it with with my best friend, and we we held hands uh during during the movie yeah. at, like, and then afterwards, I basically explained like I said before that I'm like i I feel like I'm Aaron on the outside and Holtzman on the inside, and her name is Abby, so I was like, you're kind of my Abby in this situation where like we've been together for forever. <laughs> And you've always believed in me, and you mean a lot to me. And then we hugged, and we cried, and we had a lady moment. And that's, that's going to stick with me for a very long time, that this movie kind of affected both of us pretty personally. Oh, man, that's great. Yeah, the personal stories that are coming out of people coming out of this movie theater and the emotional experience that they're having, you know, whether it's the, the two stories that you guys were just nice enough to share or, you know, being at that premiere event and, and people in the Chinese theater, you know, some of the stories that we heard uh, there, it's, it's, it's cool. I mean, for any complaints that you have about the story or the characters that we were talking about, it's cool that it is bringing people together on an emotional level like that too. So um, yeah, can't, can't ask for anything better out of a Ghostbusters film. Um, so uh, Paige, you do so many cool things, uh, you know, the level seven uh, podcast and your T public, uh, the, the shirt that you just put out, where can people find you and, and follow all the cool stuff that you're doing? Oh boy, here we go. Um, so on Twitter, you can find me at page underscore Branson. On Tumblr, you can find me at page Branson. I do an Agents of Shield, uh, generally like Marvel centric podcast called Level Seven Access. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. Um, my T Public site that has a whole bunch, or will definitely have a whole bunch of uh, Ghostbusters. Um, shirts and mugs and things for people to buy and help pay for my Ghostbusters costume because <laughs> it ain't going to pay for itself. Um, you can find that at tpublic slash user slash Paige Branson. Yeah, go check out that t-shirt. That art is awesome. I'm buying one as we speak. Uh, Paul, <laughs> Paul, how about yourself? You've got so many cool things that you do as well. Where can people find you? Uh, okay, so on Twitter, you can find me at Paul Gannon Show. Uh, I do a load of podcasts, so I do one called Cheap Show, and that's me and a friend, and we go through bargain bins and charity shops, and we look for cool things to play with. Uh, I also do a show called Spooktator, which is a podcast about ghost hunting and things like that from a skeptical point of view. Uh, I do the Geeky Monkey podcast, which is based on a magazine in the UK called Geeky Monkey. Uh, again, there was a Ghostbusters special of that, but also we just talk about geeky 
geeky stuff and complain that we're old people enjoying kids' toys. And I also produce a YouTube channel called Barsians, uh, Bars and Hens, if that helps you spell it. And it's a kind of weird podcast. It's, it's, it's weird, but it's fun. It's two guys messing around and doing weird games and challenges. I produce that, and we have a podcast for that as well. So, yeah, I do a lot, and it doesn't pay. Yeah, two of the most prolific people that I know, uh, and you spent <laughs> you spent time talking to us on the CrossRip, too, so I'm I'm eternally thankful for you guys spending time with us tonight to talk about the movie. So, oh, thank you. Thank you again. Yeah. I'm sure we'll have you guys back, and uh, thanks for joining us here in the CrossRip. Thanks thank for having you. me. Hey Chris, hey Troy, it's Trevor from the Welsh Coast Buffers. Um, I thought I'd give you guys a call because it's been an absolute manic last couple of weeks with us and the new films coming out um, with Ghost Heads and the new movie and it was amazing. Uh, we sat with some of the team and um, drunk some Ecto Cooler while, and some Twinkies while watching the film and I must admit it was brilliant. I wasn't sure when it first came into throw a couple of years ago but to watch it and to see the action and the beast of mayhem scene, you know, made me feel like an eight-year-old again. But for overall, the film has done an amazing thing for us, really. It's rebooted, like, what was called a dying franchise. And the amount of stuff that we're being able to purchase in our stores now, it's just unbelievable. It's really, really amazing. And the amount of people now switching back onto Ghostbusters has been amazing. Um, so, just really, firstly, Thank you for um, doing everything you're doing with the podcast, the live streams. Um, a little plug for us out there, Welsh Ghostbusters. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook. Carry on the great work. Big up to all the ghost heads that listen to this. And look forward to speaking to you guys again soon. Have a great one. See you on the other side. All right, it's been a little while, so let's read one of our uh, most recent reviews here. This one comes from Benjamin Dale, who says, The most important thing for a show like this is the hosts. Because when you're talking fandom, you need someone who can see multiple viewpoints instead of making generalizations about a community. These guys love and respect the fandom as much as the movies, and they're funny guys who are great to listen to. Informative, too. It's no Bassmasters, but it's my second favorite. Thanks so much for the review, Benjamin. We really appreciate you taking the time to let us know how you feel. Don't wait another minute. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Go, 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 go stoppers. I'm sorry, we'll do it again. We want to hear from you. Leave us a voicemail on our calling line at 470-242-4742. That's 4702-GBHQIC. We also have a Facebook page. You do? And Twitter accounts. Prince is dead. No kidding. Just give me the address. Search Facebook for... Ghostbusters! Interdimensional CrossRip. On Twitter, look for Troy at Ghostbusters HQ and Chris at Proton Charger. What the hell are you doing? If you like what you hear, please take a moment to give us a review on iTunes. Be sure to recommend us to your friends. That makes good sense. Don't wait another minute. Pick up your phone and call the professional. Once again, our call-in line is 4702-GBHQIC. That ought to do it. Thanks very much, Ray. Podcasting, meta podcasting. We, pay. yo, dog. I hear you like podcasts, so I put a podcast in your podcast. There's a podcast inside your podcast. <laughs> it's almost like putting fromage with pesto inside your. <laughs> Another 15 years, some kid's gonna listen to this and go, "Why is he doing that yo, dog bit?" Because nobody <laughs> will remember it was a meme. Nope. Yeah. Exactly.
Um, well, uh, hey, that was that was a fun show, Chris. I liked having I liked having Paul and Paige and new new voices. Even though Paul, we've had on the show before, and that's right, we were on Paul's show. Um, you know, it's it's cool to to get other people into the cyclotron and to hear their their takes on things. And uh, yes, it, you know what's crazy is okay. So we talked for another hour with with Paul and Paige. I, I, we can keep talking about this. I'm glad that we've sort of divided this up because there was so much left unsaid in that hour that now we got to talk about visual effects and we have to talk about stunts and we have to talk about music and all of the things that we didn't even bring up with those guys. So I know. very, uh, you know, it's, I hate to toot, toot our own horn here, but I think we figured out how, that we, how we can break this into sizable chunks to actually <laughs> be able to talk about um, but, uh, you know, uh, t- to another two hour podcast, uh, I'm sorry, Ed, if you're listening, uh, <laughs> sorry, I got Ed. your, I got your suggestion that you, uh, you don't like the two hour podcasts, but here was another one. So hopefully, uh, hopefully this one wasn't too bad for you, but, uh, we got to do it. Chris, your final thoughts, sir. Uh, my final thoughts is nothing really deep. Um, it was a discussion I had with a friend of mine. Hi, Tay. Feel better. <laughs> He's... He's uh, he, he's in love with the No Small Children uh, cover of Ghostbusters. He thinks it's the best of all of them. He was kind of grumpy about it not being on the soundtrack. Yeah, not on the, the album proper. Album proper. And then also was a little grumbly that it came out on Bandcamp three weeks back or whatever. And only this past week, ta-da, ended up on iTunes. Yeah, that's, and that's Amazon my final thought, and, by the way. Everywhere. Go, go buy yeah. it. And he was grumbling about it. And I got to thinking, I was like, I... I think it's because it's a Paul Feig thing, and he's like, "I, I what well, we were talking, he's like, well, what, what the hell's that all about?" And I'm like, "It's because remember they sent the song to him and the music guy, they liked it. Uh, they found a place for it in the movie, in so much as they put it into the uh, the end credits. But I think what it is is it's there was a then you have to start factoring in the the." the soundtrack people and all that like the the record production and all that that they went x amount of room no we're not putting that one on like it feels like it's not it's kind of official but kind of not the cover they did does that make any sense yeah and and plus so we've, it, we've it, talked it, about it in other shows like how many covers of the same song can you fit onto one soundtrack album before people start saying yeah. come on guys really so i have a, a rough sense that i think they got it midst of production and all that and I know stuff happens all throughout music wise and all that but a lot of this Sony stuff seems to be pretty locked down pretty quick it feels like um, that this one came in and they wanted it and they definitely wanted to show it off to the world and got it into the movie but at the point it came in it didn't it was a little behind the curve compared to everything else uh, being done for the soundtrack proper all that planning to put out um you know, two tracks ahead of time uh, when you pre-order the whole thing right. and, and all yeah. that stuff. It seems like this song was just a little behind the curve and a couple more things had to be worked out and then all of a sudden it's out on it's you know, finally it's out with the rest of them on all the digital download things. So. Yeah, and I wonder how much of that too is No Small Children. They're, they're a local band here in Los Angeles. They didn't have a record label. They weren't signed to a record label until about right. a week ago. So, so. How, how does that all get worked out in terms of is it going onto iTunes through Sony? Then that's a contractual thing that has to be worked out about how to pay that. You know what I mean? Like it just yeah. felt like they weren't quite in sync with the 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 rest of the mechanism, 
they didn't get left behind. It just took them a, a few weeks longer to get caught up. So I, it feels to me like Paul Feig's one. Uh, 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 there's a B word I want, but I can't get it. But hit the one generous move in which he went three school teachers rock that hard that's a great cover let's get it in there he 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 said awesome they're in and it just like i said it, it, and it they, yeah and then it, it grandfathered then to, its way into it, the soundtrack exactly. itself yeah it grandfathered its way into the soundtrack and like i said it just took a little bit extra to finally you know cross the t's and dot the i's and yeah. and then it heads out into the world of digital download and all so i guess if i, if I have a final thought it's like congrats to them because yeah, yeah they're out well, there now they're out there now and you can buy the single on itunes and amazon and you know I, I almost they it was such a blast talking to them on the slime carpet um let's have them on the show let's let's get them let's find out how this all happened with them let's uh we'll, we'll try to get that for you Definitely. guys uh because they're 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 local here to me in Los Angeles, and uh, they're they're a riot. They're a lot of fun, so we'll, we'll try to get them on the show for you. Well, I know I've already tried to put a bug in Sony Consumer Products ear once already. I'm going to do it one more time before we we uh, cut it off here tonight. I've seen on iTunes uh, that they have an album, and then you can get the deluxe album. And the deluxe album usually things like digital rights management free, but you're going to pay liner notes, liner notes. But instead of spending 99 cents a track, you spend like, what is it? A buck 30 or something. Yeah. It's just a little more. If it's going to be piratable, we want a little extra money. Um, And sometimes extra tracks. Why not put out the deluxe Ghostbuster soundtrack? Pentatonix is on there. Uh, No small children is on there. All the stuff that got missed out, add them in there. I would pay the, well, I guess it would work out to what, $13 or whatever for the album? Yeah, for the extra, uh, the bonus album. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like what they did in 2006 with the original uh, film where they put Disco Inferno and the 12-inch uh, remix of Ghostbusters exactly. on it. Exactly, yeah, perfect example. Give us give us those two extra tracks or whatever and, and, and call it a bonus if album. If you need yeah. a couple of knowledgeable guys to put together a little digital booklet to go into it, you know, <laughs> who, who are you going to call? A volunteer. Yeah, exactly. Us. <laughs> uh, who's got two thumbs and wants more work because his life's not busy enough that already? That guy. This guy. <laughs> I'm pointing to you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. All right, everybody. Uh, thanks for joining us. Who can't say no? <laughs> My <laughs> work plate is full. <laughs> I'm like, one more project. Okay. <laughs> okay. Sure. No more uh, work. It's got Ghostbusters in it. Oh, all right. Okay. All right. That's what we do. But uh, speak, speaking of, we got to move on to the next podcast. So we'll, we'll talk to you guys next week uh, here on the CrossRip slash Cyclotron mashup that we're going to probably be doing multiple times here. So thanks. Thanks for joining us as always, guys. We appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you next week. See you on the other side. Who you going to call? Thanks for joining the Ghostbusters Interdimensional CrossRip. Visit us at ProtonCharging.com, GhostbustersHQ.net, and StillPlayingWithToys.net. You could be one of my two favorite shows. Oh, you're kidding me. Oh, great. What was the other one? Bashmasters. Everything you're doing is bad. And let's get to know this. You truly scare me. I just want to let you know that. Next week, though, Careless Pets. Weird. Cool. I had to have said it like 25 times.